Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Happy Friday, everybody. Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendeville Show. A nightmare scenario, says the Echo. Front page, uh, school principals and teachers in Cork have blasted the lack of information from government on school reopenings, describing it as a nightmare scenario. We read a very powerful email, which I have to hand in case we need it again today, uh, yesterday from a teacher who is absolutely 100% preparing to go sick because of the lack of clarity. But Education Minister Norma Foley is facing mounting pressure to give guidance to schools as leading educators say they are totally in the dark. Cork's Anne Piggott, the current Vice President of the Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland, the ASTI, has suggested that secondary school students could wear face masks in class, but said there has been zero official guidance for schools. As that email uh, was very... Uh, quick to point out yesterday. It's flack to school time. Leo admits we need teachers. Extra teachers will be needed uh, and we need to be recruited for the reopening of schools next month. Tonishta Leo Varadkar has revealed it comes as frantic parents and teachers beg the government for a back-to-school plan. They don't even know if they have to wear uniforms yet. Uh, what I would suggest is possibly a uniform day on Monday and Friday. Uh, and then whatever you're having yourself during the week to allow the uniform to be washed, but to uh, expect parents to wash uniforms five days a week or to buy two uniforms to facilitate uh, their uh, hygiene, I suppose, is probably a little bit much. But anyway, frantic parents and teachers begging the government for a back-to-school plan. Uh, the Finnegale leader uh, has said the plan to reopen schools amid the COVID-19 crisis, which still hasn't been publicised, although there are some indicators uh, that it will be this morning, uh, despite children set to return to school in four weeks' time. Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty said tens of thousands of parents have no idea how their children are going back to school in September. Uh, also, in the Echo, schools left totally in the dark. Education leaders in Cork still completely in the dark on the reopening of, school and of schools in four to five weeks. And uh, that is uh, the main headlines on the uh, the school issue. Now, John Delaney makes all of the uh, red tops today, the FAI hearing in High Court. Uh, Delaney virus fears. Former FAI boss John Delaney said he's putting him at risk, uh, he's putting himself at risk of catching COVID-19 by working in the UK. A high court hearing into the running of the association heard he works 60 to 80 hours a week in a startup that provides essential services to public bodies during the pandemic. But he says he's putting himself at risk of COVID-19 because he has to work in the UK. Uh, it's John DeLay, D-E-L-A-Y, N-E-Y. Uh, he wants extra time as he risks life from COVID-19 in the new job. That makes the front of the star as well. The embattled ex-FAI CEO John Delaney uh, making the front page there as well. Delaney, my COVID fear, says the son. He's all over the place. Fallen FAI boss John Delaney is at risk of catching COVID-19 through his new job in the UK, the High Court has heard. The ex-footy CEO told hearing into the seizure of FAI files that he's putting in up to 80 hours a week with a startup and now living in a modest shared flat. Delaney added, I've put my personal health at risk by attending sites where COVID-19 is prevalent. And he claims he was forced to quit Ireland by the negative and hostile media here. Sorry about that, John. Price falls expected as VAT cut in 7 billion rescue. Uh, I don't know for the life of me why they uh, didn't reduce the lower rate of that uh, and why they didn't do that instead of spend money and then claim it back in your tax next year. Who's going to do that? Uh, Donoghue tells retailers to pass on the reductions to customers and first-time buyers can now claim back up to €30,000 
on a new home. We look at the mortgage situation as well before uh, 12 midday on the Neil Prendeville show. But Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue has insisted retailers should pass on the VAT cut announced in the government's 7 billion July job stimulus plan. The minister made the intervention after the surprise announcement that the top rate of VAT will be cut from 23% to 21% on goods and services for the next six months. Mr Donoghue told the Irish Independent, I'm asking retailers to pass on this tax cut to reduce their prices. New spending will save jobs uh, we have uh, and is crucial for creating new jobs in 2021. I know it's a tough time for many retailers at the moment, he said, and this big move should help with sales and jobs. 2%. The VAT cut was the last-minute addition to the government's economic stimulus package. And there's Fine Gael anger after the shock Doyle defeat for government. Uh, you could see that Tonish de Leer was none too happy on primetime last night. I wouldn't be drawn on it. Uh, and when asked, um, you know, uh, some of your government colleagues didn't vote for your candidate, he just gave one word, evidently. Uh, anyway, Miss Connolly, the uh, last count Corla, uh, Catherine Connolly, uh, won the battle last night. Doyle's last count Corla, first lady in that position, and last night sparked anger in Fine Gael after government TDs rebelled in a secret ballot. I wonder if all is well within Fine Gael. Taoiseach Micheál Martin, meanwhile, last night unveiled the 5.2 billion euro job stimulus package in a bid to rescue Ireland's economy from the most rapid and dramatic recession ever recorded. Uh, recession? You ain't seen nothing yet, guys. Aiming to reboot the nation from the COVID-19 crash, the cash injection includes 50 separate measures, includes slashing the standard VAT rate from 23% to 21%. I would say slashing would be 23 to 15 23 to 21 isn't slashing. It's a minor adjustment. Uh, a cashback scheme worth €125 Euro per person for money spent in hotels and restaurants. Uh, it's a bit convoluted though, to, uh, to try and claim it back. And extending the pandemic unemployment payment and temporary wage subsidy scheme through to April next. The government plan to pay for the package by borrowing heavily, which will leave the country's coffers with a monster €30 billion Euro overrun this year. And in a sobering speech while launching the package yesterday, Taoiseach Martin warned Ireland will not be returning to the pre-coronavirus normal any time soon. Uh, but Leo Varadkar on Tonish just said today's package creates a path back to your job. The coalition's dismal day uh, is the front page of the mail with three big happenings yesterday for the, uh, the powers that be. A tepid reaction to the Taoiseach's 5.4 billion boost to the economy. Eamon Ryan clinging to power after a narrow victory in his leadership battle and the government in shock after defeat for Doyle's last Count Coyle. Flu jabs for half of the population, says the uh, Times. This is the UK edition. Over 50s in the UK, pupils and vulnerable will be protected, uh, they say. A man carrying a knife was jailed for 18 months, says the Echo. A man caught carrying a knife in Cork City on six separate occasions. Uh, and yesterday, well, he was jailed for 18 months for these and other crimes. Quick couple of more stories. Call for dangerous animals to be muzzled. We were on about uh, dogs being stolen yesterday, but a Cork woman whose dog was left fighting for life after a vicious attack is calling for dangerous animals to be muzzled to prevent further accidents. Front page of the Examiner is uh, telling us uh, Cormac O'Keefe's report that women are less likely to recognise drink problem than men. Women who drink too much are half as likely as their male counterparts to see themselves as having a problem. And finally, Michel Barnier, the fishing rights row will make the EU-UK trade deal unlikely. And while this COVID-19 has been rumbling on, of course, Brexit has seen the clock ticking away. And while everyone is concentrating on defeating, and necessarily so, the COVID outbreak, uh, the clock and the time is running out for the UK. The EU's Michel Barnier yesterday claimed a Brexit trade deal not likely 
due to the impasse over fishing rights and a level playing field. Mr. Barnier said, by its refusal to commit to the condition of open and fair competition and to a balanced agreement on fisheries, the UK makes a trade agreement at this point unlikely. So when uh, hopefully the COVID stories start to uh, diminish uh, over the coming months, we'll get the Brexit coming back up. And that can be boring, uh, but it's going to come to a head uh, very soon as we uh, enter the fourth quarter of the year. 16 minutes after nine. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. And a very good morning to you, Hendrik Verwoy, an old school buddy of mine, and joins us on line one. Good morning, Hendrik. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, a heron sculpture, part of a wildlife art installation at Velvet House Cross and Cove. That's next to the graveyard on the way to Carrignafoy and down to Cuskinny, uh at the end of the back road, I suppose we, we would know it, has been stolen. Bring us up to speed, Hendrick. Yeah, unfortunately, um, the night before last, when I got a phone call yesterday morning to say one of the, the, the large herons, which is one of the, I suppose, one of the statement pieces in, in the wildlife sculptures that we put in place, um, disappeared overnight. So, it's a, it's a very disappointing situation, I suppose, for a long time in the planning. Um, it's the only roundabout in Cove. Um, it deserved a, a better interpretation of what a roundabout could be than a few plants stuck in the middle of it. So, um, Tidy Town set about um, putting in this, this wildlife scene, inspired basically by Cuskinny. You know, the, the birds, there was a number of flying birds with two large herons and lots of bulrushes and reeds that gently swayed in the breeze. And it's yeah, the Cuskinny Marsh, they call it, really. And I know Jimmy Wilson has been instrumental in its protection and in its publicity over the years. Absolutely, sure. It's a very famous place. It's, it features on the Dawn Forest, you know, every yeah. year that it's broadcast. Um, so it's a wonderful spot. But, um, you know, this was, this was inspired, this roundabout was inspired by, by what's there. And uh, the sculptures are wire art, um, Emma Jane Rushford, magical wire art in, in Greystones in County Wicklow. Um, worked on these pieces and they were installed just Tuesday of last week so it's very disappointing that one of them has disappeared so I suppose the campaign to bring back the bird has started in earnest and, and what we want to do I suppose is let people aware around the country you know that if you see one of these herons um, for sale or in somebody's garden there's only been seven of them ever made so they're pretty unique and if you see one for sale at a knockdown price, well, then you probably... Okay, I suppose it begs the question, Hendrik, was this done for monetary gain or a little bit of skullduggery or what? It's hard to know. I think uh, somebody is either driving around with a hacksaw in their car or their van or somebody specifically made a journey to take one of these because it wasn't, it's not simply taken away, it was cut away, you know, so... And it would need a van, would it? I think so, yeah, because the, the birds have their, their wings outstretched, so they're over four foot wide. And they're quite tall as well, so you'd struggle to put it into a into a car. So, um, but uh, you know, nobody, nobody that we know has seen anything. So, it's yeah. is, is the roundabout not lit at night? No. Well, there's, there's street lighting there, but it's not. You know, it wouldn't be dark by any stretch mm. of the imagination. But um, but as of now, nobody has come forward to, with any further information. So we're, we're living in hope that the bird will come back. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm conscious that we're on the 30th or 35th anniversary of, of the moving statues, and look what that did for Balance Spittle. I remember one time, uh, there's a story that when, when Christ is coming again, we're all going to be saved or whatever, uh, that the angel in St. Finbar's Cathedral will play the the, uh, the bugle that's there. And the bugle went missing one time. Uh, and okay. the, the church and the environs had three solid weeks of media attention. Uh, which didn't do it any harm. I'm just wondering. Uh, I wonder if someone doing this for a little bit of publicity for Cove. Uh, I, I don't know. Is that the case? But um, uh, you're, you're... Uh, Cove, Cove can stand on its own in the publicity stakes. And I suppose it's not the sort of publicity we'd normally put out there, you know. But 
But when something unique has gone missing, there's a good chance that somebody will see yeah. it somewhere, you know. I so. suppose what I'm, what I'm really trying to get at is when you look at the, vand, the, the vandalism uh, of public sculptures, such has been happening so often in Dublin to the Luke Kelly, uh, both of the Luke, Luke Kelly uh, memorials, um, there really is little point to it. Yeah, and, and, and you know, sometimes um, a bit of notoriety is what drives people to do things like this, but I don't think that was the case in this particular instance. You know, if somebody wanted this to make a few bob or to put it in their garden, it's a pretty low-life person if they want to put it in their own garden and look at a stolen piece of art, you know. But, you know, I don't think it's a notoriety. In this case, it's literally somebody wanting this thinking they can probably make a few bob, but um, yeah, hopefully... Because it, it, it can be nothing else in, in the Lou Kelly situation than, oh, we go, look what we did and we got on national radio again. Yeah, and that's why, you know, Co-Sidey Towns would have a very kind of strict policy amongst ourselves that we don't normally publicise anything that's a little bit negative or that, that would give somebody a bit of notoriety. You know, they can do without us. You know, if they want to make themselves famous, well, don't, don't use us as a vehicle to do it. But, you know, this is a bit different. Um, mm. We hope it'll come back, Nick, you know. Yeah. Th- things happening in Cove seems to be a concerted effort between, you know, Cove Tourism and the Tidy Towns and, and other business organisations. The new marina is yeah. in, all that kind of thing. Absolutely. Pushing Cove as a great place to visit. We're pushing Cove as well as a great place to live in. Um, you know, there's 14,000 people living in Cove. There's, there's a lot of new housing developments planned for the town. Um, so it is an absolutely great place to live. It's a great place to visit as well. And, you know, we're constantly trying to get that message out there, out there. but Coven Harbour Chamber, Cove Tourism, Cove Tidy Towns, um, Cork County Council, we're all pushing the same button now at this stage, you know, and working together, get the message out there. Um, and I think we're seeing the results, you know, Cove yeah. is busy, you know, it's not as busy as it, as it would be um, with international visitors, but, you know, there are people around, there's so much to see and do in Cove that it's a great place to visit, there's lots of open spaces, you know, once you get to Spike Island, you have 104 acres to share with the, the couple of hundred other people that are over there, you know. Um, Andrew, can, so, I, can, can, I, can I nail you to the cross on this one? Give me an honest answer here now. Do you think the heron that's been stolen is on the island, or did it go over Bell Valley Bridge? I'd say it flew away over Bell Valley Bridge, to be quite honest with you. You know, it's, it's, um, it's you know, somebody would be totally mad to keep that on the island here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely, you know, it, it's probably somewhere reasonably nearby but um, I suppose it can travel as far as a van can travel as quickly as a van can travel but um, you know social media is a great thing social media can have its its upside as well as its downsides and hopefully this bird will you know pop up somebody will see it somebody will say I saw that I heard that on the radio yep. and contact the local guard station and then the bird will come back well I, you know? I suppose the publicity should hopefully render it non-saleable because it's going to be you know the object of the guardie the guardie's attention as well absolutely yeah. you know that's that's part of the, the process that we're working on as well you know and I know the world's media is coming after you now so thanks for coming on here first uh, <laughs> <laughs> because thanks, yeah I, I knew you were going to be doing national and local radio and probably some TV as well so uh, have a busy day Hendrik and I hope you get the bird back Thanks very much, mate. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that board was erected as part of that wire sculpture just 10 days ago. So some jiggery-pokery is going on there. Now let's go to a different topic completely and to uh, Catherine Duffy on line two. Hi, Catherine. Hello. Hi. Now you booked a flight with Ryanair to travel to Bordeaux on the 24th of July, returning... Well, today. Today, that's <laughs> we right. Should be, we should be on board right now. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you've been travelling to the area since 2016. 
Yeah, we have. It's a mindfulness monastery. It's called Plum Village. Okay. Um, and it's just a practice centre for mindfulness. It's, it's kind of a family retreat that we go on. Um, but they've had to close, obviously, because of COVID. So the, the our, our resort is closed, but Ryanair are not... Um, not offering anything. They're saying your flights are going, so we can't offer a refund. Yeah, I, I can. I can honestly see where they're coming from. It's it's not down to Ryanair that the mindfulness resort is closed, uh, and Ryanair haven't cancelled or delayed your flight to an extent to where you would be entitled to a refund. So are you just asking them to have a little bit of heart. Uh, well, I think it'd be a bit more than that to be honest with you. Do you know? we're being advised not to travel, we're being advised not to go places, so we're being told to stay at home, we're doing our best, where we're going is closed, we're, we're, we were only looking really for kind of just, uh, you know, to postpone it to next summer, yeah. to next year, you know, it wasn't looking for a refund or anything like that, it was just, you know, would it be okay if we could just travel next year? So is your particular situation that you would have travelled with Ryanair to France today, even though it's not on the green list, because you know and trust the area you're going to and you know and trust how it's run by the staff. But because that's closed, you're not prepared to take the flight to the non-green list area. Um, no, I don't think in general I would have travelled anywhere on a flight at the moment. Um, no. I just don't, I think we need to stay home and stay safe and not go on holidays and yeah and, and well this wasn't a holiday it was more of a mindfulness retreat but no I think we need to stay home and stay safe and, that's and did what you we're book doing. It, did you book it far enough back in time that you got a reasonable rate you're not losing too much money are you I booked it back in November okay um so I because we had just come back from we had been there in October and we had been there in July. So we go there about twice a year. So I'm just a bit disappointed with Ryanair, you know, because when I got on to them about trying to postpone it or change it or change the flight, the schedule only goes up to September. So obviously we can't go in September. We were looking to go next July and they don't have a schedule yet for July. So you can't change it. No, they only go 330 days in advance at, at, at the no. most. Uh, they never do, they do 11 months, not 12. Well, no, they don't, they don't even have a schedule. I know, I know they don't now, but July. normally. I've checked it all. N normally yeah. with a full travel schedule, they go 330 days in advance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, what's I, the plan? You're just going to have to stand the loss of this flight now? Yeah, we're going to have to stand the loss. We're at home. We're um, doing an online retreat with Plum Village, which is the monastery we go to. So we have a three-day online retreat. So okay. we're doing, yeah, we're doing it from home. We're connecting in with them all for the next three days and doing a, you know, yeah. Okay. And just in case you're trolling through Instagram, okay, and you come across a, a, a supposed Reiner Instagram account looking to offer you refunds, um, mm. they're going to charge you £13 to do so. Uh, yeah. And this is, we 100% believe, a scam, okay? There's a Reiner okay. Instagram scam going around. There's a fake Reiner Insta page. Uh, doing the rounds. Uh, I'm looking at it here. Uh, send us your ticket info and proceed. we will proceed to refund you immediately. Uh, your refund request went in April. My details are as follows. There was details sent and then Ryanair mm. sent back or the supposed Ryanair site. Give us a, a second. We're checking now. 
This person said thank you. Uh, okay, and this uh, Len Reiner says, just to go through your info now, to get a refund, you will need to order for a refund code and we'll charge you £13. <laughs> so they're getting yeah. £13 to send you a fictional code that doesn't work because they're not Reiner, they're just scamming you. No, no, and there's another scam going around with Dion Post. Um, for um, two two euros, so we have a package for delivery ready for you, but you need to pay us two euros extra for your delivery charge. Well, that's new info. Thanks for that. Okay, and then you click in on it and you pay your two euros, <laughs> and then about five minutes later, you get an email from some dating website for fifty nine euros. What? Yes. Once you pay your yes. two euros, you're, you're kind of accepting. Yeah, you're accepting. So I, I've been, obviously, I've, I've had to have my credit card cancelled um, and I've emailed the, the company, the, the dating website, whatever they are. Uh, now, they stopped the payment because I said I would go live on every radio show if they didn't. But uh, that happened a few weeks ago, so I've had a lot go on in the meantime. Did you ever come across so, yeah. these, these ones where you're, you're on social media and suddenly, and I won't mention, the, the, some of the largest uh, supermarket brands in the world, right? Uh, oh, yeah, are, yeah. are coming up saying, yeah. you've won, uh, and yeah, get through yeah. here. And, and when you, when you actually accept, you're, 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 you're uh, accepting a two ninety nine monthly bill for some text you get on your phone. I know. It's a complete I know. scam. Yeah, yeah, complete scam. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was due a package at the time, so I thought, oh, okay, I, you know, I was, yeah, so 59 euros they they tried to get me for. They tried to get, for, but they, they didn't get it, no? Well, because I went back quick enough, I emailed them and I got onto my, I, well, I had to cancel my credit card and get a new credit card. And then I emailed the company that I got the email from, I emailed them back and said, look, I'm having none of this. You know, they, so it's, it's some kind of a dating scam website. Yeah. I'm sure I, I suppose they, they operate on the premise yeah. that never, you know, they never never underestimate the power of of many, many, many naive people, you know, large numbers of yeah, naive people. I know. Uh, we get a little it's off everybody. Sad, we'll, we'll get a lot. But a time like this that they're out there doing this to people, you know, we're all, all right. suffering. We're all going through our own things. Yeah. You know, Catherine, <laughs> thanks, thanks very much yeah. for talking to us. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. My friend had to travel to Italy to bring his partner home after serious surgery, and he's horrified when he got on the plane. There was no social distancing, and all the seats were sold on a Ryanair flight. He hasn't left the house much, uh, only for uh, runs or for work uh, or exercise, and is always careful. But he could not just not believe how packed the Ryanair plane was. 9.30. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Not a very good morning to you. There is a plethora of uh, school headlines making the papers today. And we covered this topic yesterday. I'm not saying we're responsible for what's in the papers, uh, but it is coming to the fore. We've had dozens of texts uh, from teachers and from lay people and from parents who are very, very worried of the lack of clarity. Now, we do believe that since this uh, email was read yesterday, the government have declared there will be schools opening uh, at the normal time and there will be full clarity. Uh, but we've had uh, people asking us to read this mail again, which came from a teacher yesterday. It's one of the strongest emails we've ever received to the program, certainly me anyway. Um, and for those, I'll read it again. It's about two pages long. So bear with me. If you missed it, we're happy to read it again for you. Hi, Mick. I'm not going to lie. COVID-19 scares me. I'm a teacher. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. Plus, I have four kids to support. So I feel lucky to have a job and thoroughly enjoy it. I love my college and my students, but it's hard to balance that with my concern for my own children and my fears. I feel locked in an impossible choice 
as long as there are still growing numbers of cases of COVID-19. I hate saying it, but I am totally preparing to get sick. I myself am in the midst of trying to figure out if I have an autoimmune disorder. It's been a stressful time. I feel returning to class will be dangerous for teachers like myself with underlying health issues. As I see it, there are two possible plans for September. No real decisions being made at cabinet level. Plan A, have fewer students back at school at the same time. Or plan B, moving to online only instruction. Plan A necessitates students learn at school part-time or partly at home. Returning to in-person instruction is unrealistic. Students will simply ignore health requirements to wear masks and to stay six feet apart from their peers. Of course, I feel that in-person learning is optimal for students. However, nothing about a deadly global pandemic is optimal. As an educator, I feel the personal attention from teachers that many young children respond to will be blunted by requirements to stay, uh, stay six feet away from each other. After several months of restricted movement, it's unreasonable for adults to expect students to adhere to all of the requirements to keep the virus at bay. It's unreasonable to expect second-level students who've not seen each other for six months and who have questionable behaviour choices without a pandemic to faithfully follow safety protocols. If we opt for Plan A, on the two days they are in school, they will be anxious about safety and are focused on socialising and essentially, those days will be useless for learning. We've had no clarity from the Minister if teachers should return to in-person instruction, even if they or their loved ones at home are at risk of serious injury or death from COVID-19. We are between two spots, and it doesn't feel like there's much concern about teachers. Some parents are attempting to belittle my profession by suggesting I and other teachers were doing very little over lockdown, faking empathy and doling out pre-prepared study notes online. This is the furthest it could be from the truth. I'm very worried in what's coming down the track, not just because we can get sick and possibly die, but that no one is taking our side. We know it's not going to be education as usual this September and that we need to adapt. I know a number of primary school teachers who are in a state of panic. Teachers for junior infants through sixth class are worried about transmitting COVID-19 to students and they could give it to their at-risk adults at home. I'm not sure whether teachers will still be required to go to the schools every day to teach, but we are more ready now to teach virtually than we were in March, when the government closed the schools ahead of the coronavirus's rapid spread around the country. We've had a couple of months to plan. We've been through it in the spring, and we know the kinks we need to work out to make it a better system for our students. For teachers who also have young children, Plan B poses a conundrum. Plan B is nearly impossible for staff members with young or school-aged children. Many childcare centres are closed, making childcare difficult or impossible to find. And teachers might also consider a leave of absence, leaving the school scrambling to find temporary staff, or teachers may leave altogether. If the only option was to teach in person, more than half of teachers in my school may not want to return to class. It's time to work as a team and not every man from him for himself. Please keep my details private. Not often we read out the same email twice on the Neil Prendival show, but that one was really, really powerful. And uh, as mentioned by Antonish de Leo Varadkar last night, the state are going to be scrambling to find teachers uh, when it comes to school opening time. So that's almost cognizant or that he's aware of the fact that he's not going to have a full complement of teachers returning to school. Uh, and that email would seem to suggest that that will be the case Teachers are worried and uh, they are considering going sick rather than going back to school. And I know it's going to vary from school to school. uh, And I know some teachers will go back 
and I know some teachers will probably try to stay at home and would prefer to be doing things virtually. But to line one we go and to Elizabeth Horgan. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, good morning, Mick. How are you? What did you make of that email? Fine, thanks. Um, so, look, I do feel for, for teachers. Um, look, they're not the enemy here. Um, it's, of course, natural to be worried about change and to be worried about going back to school. But I genuinely feel that with the proper measures, and and time, they have time on their side as well, that we can all have a safe and healthy transition back to school. Like it's in everyone's interest, you know. Um, and, and as a parent, you know, it's because I value the teaching profession and I value what they um, offer to my children that I need my kids to be back in school in September. Digital learning does not work for younger kids at all, Mick. It is a nightmare for them. You know, they have no routine. They feel that parents are, you know, trying to make their lives hell. And, you know, you can't teach new concepts to kids through an email or through notes on Microsoft Teams or Google um, Classroom or whatever the case may be. So it's vital that we make a really good effort to get our kids back to school in September. Okay, but are you happy to have your children back in school two metres apart, one metre apart if that's declared, or back to normal? Because there are no classrooms that I know of that can take the full complement of students, even at one metre. So I am happy for a transition back to school. So it has to be a measured transition. Now, we're lucky in that um, we have a country school that does have a, you know low class numbers and, and quite large old classrooms. And probably an activity hall where they could they could space out. Exactly, exactly. So we're very lucky. I know that's not the case in the majority of schools. But what I do think is, if it's three days, if it's four days, bring them in for the three days and the four days. Or just forget about a blended approach to digital and classroom learning because it puts more pressure on everyone. It puts more pressure on teachers. It puts more pressure on uh, parents and the kids themselves. So if they need to come in three days, um, you know, bring them in, teach them for the three days, bring the older kids in for the, the two days or whatever the case may be. I'm happy. I, I have to accept that my kids going back to school in September means that they're going to be more exposed. Now, let's remember that kids are not vectors. Like the WHO have, have come out and stated that. So they're more at risk, um, in my opinion, for things like coughs and colds and tummy bugs because their immunity is so low and they haven't been mixing as much with kids over the last few months. Now, um, obviously, I have my kids playing, you know, outside and a safe distance from other kids at the moment because I feel it's important from a social and emotional perspective um, for them to start learning how to interact again. Like six months in a child's life is a huge amount of time. Um, you know, and I know I'm going off on a tangent there. but No, it is relatively a huge amount of time. It is, it is indeed. But like, you know, I think as a parent we have to accept that our kids, you know, they're going to be vulnerable too. But look, with the right measures, with visors, with proper sanitation facilities and hand washing facilities in classrooms, and, you know, perhaps staggering the days that some classes come in, it can be done. It's an essential service. And as a parent, I'm saying that because I value the teaching profession 
and we need our kids to get back to learning. Like I have a six-year-old there now and he's at a very, very crucial stage in terms of learning how to read and he's missed some significant steps. Now, I know they're all in the same boat, but that's fine as a stopgap and that's fine, you know, for a few months. But really, you know, we need to try and get the show back on the road again for everyone's sake. I think it's just the piecemeal ad hoc way that things have been done. I mean, in the height of the pandemic, there was no uh, face coverings required on public transport. There was no face coverings required uh, in. Now, even though all the supermarkets very, very well screened and put the yellow markings down and distanced everything out and then counted people going in. Uh, but now, you know, just when the curve is flattened, if you like, it's mm-hmm. masks, masks, masks everywhere. Yes, uh, exactly. And they are considered essential services because, of course, we have to travel to work and we have to eat. Um, would you consider yeah. then that teaching should be considered an essential service and should return at all costs? Absolutely. I, I genuinely feel that it is an essential service, you know. Um, and, you know, parents are not teachers, Mick, um, with the best will in the world, you know. I don't know how to teach my child to do multiplication or long division or whatever. And the digital learning, you know, is fine for older kids, perhaps from secondary school on. And um, they're independent learners and they kind of, you know, they can relate to somebody across the screen um, teaching them something or uh, and work away independently to do exercises. But younger kids, that does not work for them. Um, you know, they feel sort of... Um, disassociated, you know, they can't engage properly over a screen like that. Um, They find it hard to concentrate and it is an essential service. My God, it's absolutely vital for our kids, Mm -hmm. you know. They they need interaction to learn communication skills, cognitive development, uh, you know, even to see the foibles and the failures and the, and the, and the falls in the playground and helping people up and, and, and social interaction, I think, is what 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 is inadvertently gained yeah. by children in in the in the collective setting correct absolutely and i think we need to manage everybody's expectations in that regard i'm not expecting a full curriculum to be developed or to be um, delivered to my children we need to be realistic here about what can be achieved and what the priorities are the priority for me is a safe and healthy transition back to school as it should be for the teachers and and um the Department of Education as well, we shouldn't be looking at delivering a full um, curriculum, you know, in terms of what they missed and the upcoming year as well. We really need to focus on on the soul and emotional um, re-engagement for kids and also then looking at, okay, the essentials in terms of what they missed and also bringing them up to speed on on everything, all the key concepts. Mm. So a safe and and measured transition back to school would would be necessary. I think, uh, was it Leo Varadkar and Tanishta uh, said that would be happening. Uh, I don't know why the Minister for Education didn't make that announcement. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Leo might be uh, relinquishing the reins of power slowly. <laughs> I just can't help himself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Look, I think, you know, if we all pull together, like, it should be possible. Um, I do feel for, for individual schools, um, they're not getting detailed um, guidance on it. And it will vary from school to school. So okay. there's a lot of pressure for teachers and principals. Thanks, Elizabeth. Must take another call. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mary, good morning. Hello, Mary. Hello, good morning. Hi, how's it going? Very well. You wouldn't agree with that letter? That person's getting paid to do a job? I don't, know. Well, I can understand her anxiety, and I'm sure many listeners can, but I kind of read it yesterday and thought everybody's replaceable, so she's not happy to go back in September. I'm sure there's many people out there that would 
only loves the opportunity to have her job and go teach and just get on with it. There's doctors and nurses that have a far, you know, heavier hand at stake. So far heavier contact like, and interaction with people who potentially carry the virus. You like I just no, I don't think so, no. I don't think that's gonna happen in September with kids and that's just my positivity. Okay, so what, 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 what would you suggest? Now, now I, I do take your point, but also in the letter, uh, in the email that was written to us, it was, she did state that she's trying to verify whether or not she has an autoimmune disease. So that's going to make her more worried anyway. But what you're saying is, stick to the plan, there are procedures, stop complaining, just get on with it, wear gloves, wear a mask, do your antibacterial, do your, your hand and, and, and sneezing hygiene, etc., and you'll be grand. Then everything is going to be okay and just be positive. You know, like that attitude, it's an energy and it's going to pass on. So mm. just have a nice energy, nice positive attitude and everything's going to be okay, okay. Especially when it comes to schools. And that's just my positive, beautiful outlook on it. Fair play if to you, Mary. If everybody is hygiene and everybody is safe, then it's going to be okay. Yeah. And what do you think, what, what do you take of our last caller's uh, point that kids need to interact to build up their immune systems? Yes, I do. I believe so. Um, like at a young age for me, um, I would have went out in my local town drinking from a second hose pipe, you know. <laughs> or That's a different day story day for a different day. Right, okay. You know, um, but I'm sure many did, as many listeners have done. You know, it's just the innocence of it when you think back. Okay. And a GA pitch locally in North Cork, there's, you know, outdoor taps. And we didn't have time to go to a shop or to go to, you know, like go home to get a drink of water. So we would just go to the tap. Go to the tap. Sure, no. there was lead-based paint. There was all sorts of health and safety infringements as they would be today that were just normal back then. Exactly. We survived. Look at us. I can yeah. recall, like, you know, 10 of us lining up for the tap, <laughs> our lips underneath it, turning on the tap. And, you know, it's just... I understand people's anxiety, but I also... It's time to get back to business. You just need to kind of, yeah, come on. All right, Mary. Thanks a million for the call. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. It's 12 minutes to 10 now. Back in a moment. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. It's the Neil Printerville show. Mick Mulcahy filling in for Neil's holidays and Brian is on line one. Hi, Brian. Hi, Mick. Good. Now, working with kids in care in the UK. Yep. And the teachers there, they've uh, put down all tools and stopped, have they? No, 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 no. Uh, the teachers worked right, right through here. Worked right through? Yeah, 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 yeah. In in what uh, sense? W w were they full classrooms? No, it wasn't full classrooms. I mean, uh, the kids I work with come under the umbrella that they got to go to school. And then uh, my own children, um, Tommy, he'd be like, a long time since I was at school in Cork, but he'd be like in high infants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he went, he went back, say, eight weeks ago, two days a week. And then... He went up to like full time till he finished last Friday. But is, is that a, is that a different sort of a regime in, in that uh, he's essentially going in summertime? Is he? No, no, no. Because the school holidays are different over here, isn't it? Okay. Like they, they they normally they finish last Friday, which is normal. Yeah. So he went back for six weeks, but four weeks were, were full time. But it was obviously completely different. They were like staggered going in, and they kind of cut up the schoolyard when they were playing up in time and they put them in bubbles and do you know what I mean? Like has, has there been any yeah. evidence of teachers having difficulty or children having difficulty of contracting COVID? No, no, no. I mean, there's been cases. I mean, there was a couple in Leicester. You, you see that went into a local lockdown. But, um, I mean, there's been no, like, major issues. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? A couple of the schools got shut in Leicester, but even when Leicester was in the lockdown, some of the schools were still open. Do you know what I mean? So, if somebody loves their job as a teacher, which this person who wrote the email evidently yeah. does, though they are worried yeah, about their own autoimmune disease, if you love your job so much, then I suppose the best thing to do is get back at it in a safe well, and orderly and measured definitely. way. Let the children yeah. get back at it. Let them yeah. readjust to it. Let them interact and mingle again, build up their immune systems. A hundred percent. I mean, like I could only, like my youngster, Tommy, that I was speaking about earlier, I could see he, um, it was like he got a bit of depression. Do you know what I mean? But mm. they can't talk about it because, I mean, they don't know what it is, do they? And then, I mean, he was always a happy youngster. You know what I mean? And then I noticed, do you know what I mean? Because he was off school, say, for two months, yeah? And then went, before he went back, he didn't have his normal happy, smiley self. But then as soon as he got back into school and saw his friends and that, he's just back to normal. Do you know what I mean? It was great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he started back playing because they started back playing football and all that last week. So it's kind of slowly we're coming out the other side, I think. But do you know, I know it's a long way to go yet. But, Do you think that there's an underlying mental issue that's maybe may, may starting to creep in on the children who haven't seen their buddies? That, that's the most worrying thing, I think. I mean, I know COVID's a massive worry. Do you mean I wouldn't say it isn't? Do you mean? But it's like the mel- mental health backlash from all this on on our children is going to be catastrophic. I mean, I've, I've got five children, yeah, and the older ones went back to school because I went back to work because I, I was shielded for a while, yeah, because of asthma. Mm-hmm. So I was off, and the older ones then went back as key workers' children. So you mean that was good for them as well? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, even myself, I mean, I was off for three months and you could feel it yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's not nice to be stuck in a house for three months. Do you know what I mean? You can tell you're from Cork. There's a little touch of Roy Keane there in the accent, I think. Oh, yeah, they say that, they say that, yeah, they say that. Well, we're from the same neck of the woods, Mayfield, so yeah. Okay. Uh, well, at the end of the day, uh, thanks very much for the call. Oh, thank you. Appreciate All it, right. Brian. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Uh, thanks, and I've never seen the amount of texts on this subject uh, for any others. others. So pages upon pages uh, of heartfelt texts here. As families, students and teachers brace themselves for a school year that starts in less than a month, well, four to five weeks, I suppose, many teachers are now pushing back against plans that require to teach them in person. That's what the email was about. And our second-level teacher laid out the concerns of many in the teaching profession. But Sam says... I have worked on the front line through all of this and I've had to deal with the fact that I could be bringing this disease back to my own family, but I had no choice but to get on with it like my fellow colleagues. I'm sorry you're feeling like this, but our children's education is most important, especially now as they've missed so much already. They depend on you just like our patients and families depends uh, on us. That's from a frontline worker. Eddie says stories like this are one of the downsides to being a teacher. I love my job. Can't wait to see the kids. I just wish we had better guidance from the DES during the uh, pandemic. I also wish we had better plans in place for a return to school. The government had given us no guidance or protective measures for at-risk groups so far. Sarah says, I'm not being funny or anything, but my partner works in healthcare and has been all through this pandemic. He works with high-risk adults and also we have a three-year-old son. He hasn't been complaining. He's just been getting on with it and making sure that his health and PPE have been 100% so he doesn't contaminate his service users and also doesn't bring anything back to our son. It's dangerous all round and there is a risk. I'm afraid we're just going to have to get on with it. Amy says, I'm a secondary school teacher and I wanted to go back to school come August and September, but only if I am permitted to wear a mask. 
and with sanitizer stations throughout the school. But at the end of the day, I will follow my principles and the government's instructions. If distance learning is the, uh, des- uh, the decision, I will give it my all because that's my job and children are entitled to their education. I had one-to-one classes with several students during lockdown, helping with homework, CBAs, making study plans, navigating Google Classroom and Edmondo uh, with them and communicating with parents to see exactly how I could help the kids the most. Before anyone jumps up down my throat and accuses me of being lazy or disrespecting the frontline workers, I've several family members who work in healthcare, and I know how hard they've worked, and I'm in awe of them. And I'd never compare my working conditions to theirs as a teacher, but no teacher is doing that. I want to do everything in my power to help to stop the spread of the virus. All we want to do is to be able to do our jobs safely. Uh, the children and the families we all go home to should be safe as well. And all f- uh, for those who are saying there were people working all through lockdown, that's true. But they were given masks without question of whether they should have them or not and were given guidelines on how to do the job safely. It's almost the end of July and we have no idea what school life will be like. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Seven minutes after ten, you can call us on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. Text to zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six or email neil at redfm dot ie. As this person did, uh, hi, can I please be kept anonymous? I'm a primary school teacher, and I am sick to my back teeth of the constant abuse teachers get. People don't seem to grasp that teachers didn't shut down the schools themselves; the government did. We could not go into the building. We were given no warning, and we were asked to turn the curriculum around overnight. We did our best with the very little help we got from the government. Most kids in my class didn't engage at all with the work I was putting up during the weeks. I worked full hours. Do people really think that teachers are refusing to go back to school? We just want clear guidance. It's been appalling since the lockdown. We've heard nothing about school. Surely if teachers are as bad as people say, why would you entrust them with your most precious thing in the world, your child? Friends of mine had to work from home. No one seemed to be hurling abuse at them. Teachers can't distance teach. Neither do we want to. But that's what's happened. No one is or was willing to help us. We're not pushing back. We just want to be protected. We want guidance and we want a plan. Telling teachers to get on with it is ridiculous. Don't comment on a profession you know nothing about just because you went to school once. Thank you from a primary teacher. Uh, let's go to our phones again now and to Craig on line two. Hi, Craig. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Good. Okay, so what do you think of this? Yes or no? Teachers are complaining or they're just no, look, dis- discommoded I, I, like everybody else and getting on with it? I see it from both sides. Like, I agree with the first caller. Like, you know, the schools have to reopen, but they have to reopen safely. I think that there's a lot of measures that can go in to keep people safe, you know, be it like, you know, staggering breaks, staggering classes, you know, certain different areas like that. But at the same time, like, I understand that teachers' fears. Uh, like, we've had them ourselves, like I said, that work in the supermarket and work straight through all this. So, uh, I've always at home. I've a one-year-old son at home. So, I can completely understand where the teachers come from in terms of that. It's a very bad line, Craig. You're out in the wind somewhere. Oh, yeah, sorry, one sec. No problem. Uh, You're working in a supermarket, yeah? Yes. Yeah, you, you, you guys, are you mandatorily uh, forced now to wear masks, or is that just by personal choice? Uh, no, the government is saying that it's mandatory to wear masks. It's, yeah, morally mandatory. It's not legally mandatory yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, morally mandatory. Yeah, yeah okay. So you, you were, you're, you're working in a high-density setting there, even though people, you know, people get closer than six feet in a supermarket, let's let's be fair. They bump into yeah. each other going around corners and things. Like, I just feel like so many, the teachers might be in a better position, and schools might be in a better position at the minute, because... They've had just four or five months to see where we're at. So 
you know, technically, like, I mean, if I'm in a school, I'm going to have better contact or contact information for the students than I am if someone walks into a shop here. Yeah, but I, I suppose what the teachers are saying is that the, the supermarkets had to get up and running immediately. They never shut because they're an essential service. And so, bit by bit, the, the markings came on the floor, the traffic lights or the security outside counting the people in and out. Uh, and of course, the screens went up. Whoever was in the plastic screen business must have made a fortune know, yeah. in, the, in, in the last few months. But what the teachers are saying is that we were just shut down. We couldn't go back in to collect our things. And we have no direction as to when, well, we have now when, but how we're going to reopen. On, under what modus operandi will we reopen as teachers? Yeah, I, I understand their point of view as well. And from like, you know, they haven't, I know what they're saying, only a month before schools technically reopen. Like we had to kind of roll with the blows in, in the, our industry, you know, we kind of gone with and done it piece by piece. Like, I think like a month, you know, for a lot of schools to maybe put down markings, put in sanitization and stuff, kind of look at, say, the classrooms and things, or decide how many can fit in the classroom and stuff. So it can be done, like. Mm-hmm. Like, my wife works in a crash. She's back to work two weeks ago. I guarantee you, the childcare industry is going to get a lot less support from the government in terms of funding, in terms of uh, guidance, what to do. So a lot of crashes are privately owned, and they've had to show kind of do the best they can and some of them are doing they're doing brilliant jobs like you know and they're you know, the backbone mm. of the country because without them like a lot of people couldn't go back to work what would you make of this text uh, Craig uh, hi Mick the government should stop paying teachers wages in full and make them like the rest of us who have been cut off bit by bit on the pandemic payment do that and see them run back to work I'd love to be back at work for God's sake get new teachers if they old ones don't want to return Look, there's going to be a case of people that are teaching are in a vulnerable position be it for health or certain underlying issues. I don't think it's fair to penalise people either like, no, because they're in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. But like, if there are all the positions that the government brings out guidelines and says schools are done correctly you know, and people still then refuse to turn to work, is it fair that everyone gets full pay then? Yeah, I'm not sure if the teachers are on full pay. I'm going to talk to one in a second. We'll let, let's right. find out. Yeah, I assume sure they are. On full pay. Yeah. All right, Craig. Thanks a million. Right. Thank you very much. No problem. Either. Thanks. Bye bye, David. You're a teacher. Hello, David. Hello. Sorry, sorry, Mick. How things? I'm good. Yeah, you're a teacher. I'm a teacher. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm originally from Mayfield, but a secondary school teacher in Calair. And uh, one of the main issues that really is is a red flag for me is when we're we're literally comparing apples and oranges. A lot of people are saying. Um, what pubs have done, construction sites, other businesses have done. Um, I'm just going to talk you through the practicalities of actual actual teaching. Um, a lot of people are saying that you know education is the most important things in in their li- in their children's lives. <laughs> Wrong. I mean, most important thing in their children's lives during a global pandemic safety is their life. Yeah. Not their education. Their education can wait. And if we don't have the proper facilities, proper masks, the proper PPE. This is a proven global pandemic that has resulted in thousands and possibly millions of deaths, potentially. Now, when you're comparing schools with construction sites or when you're comparing schools with um, pubs, people forget that there's the school I'm in in Kildare, um, we have 890 students that will move around every 40 minutes, will congregate in the ref or cafeteria for up to 40 minutes. Um, We work under a strict um, factory-like time set setting. So the practicalities of teachers going back into classrooms with students ensuring that they're socially distanced, which I think... It's pretty much impossible trying to implement that for 
900 students. Yeah, so you're, you're working on a regiment, it's let's say 40 minute class time. And I might yeah. have English from 9 o'clock to 20 to 10. And then I might have to change class to go to French from 20 to 10 until 20 past 10. And then before I take my 11 o'clock break and everyone mixes together, I might have geography in a different class. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, certainly in most schools, certainly in my school, the traffic, it is lit, it is physically impossible not to cross students, not to have to move out of the way in the corridor, students congregating and lockers getting their books, um, coming downstairs, going upstairs, lifts. Think, think um, of an American high school, because we've all seen those on TV. You don't see many of the Irish ones, the subject of, yeah. of uh, documentaries or, or, or comedy shows or whatever. But an American high school, everybody mills into the, into the corridor at the same time. Uh, they all go to their lockers, they put away one book, get another book, and they head off in a different direction. And, and, and like everyone is interacting together. That's probably a thing of the past now, but how is your school going to get around that? That's exactly the question. We have absolutely no guidance. Um, the only practical thing I can think of is that instead of students moving, that maybe the teachers move. Um, but again, I mean, my my school was built, and even if you think in a, from a core context, if you think of Christians or prayers, I mean, these schools have been built in the 1860s. And yeah, there, there's been moderations, etc. But it's still the old school classroom, the narrow corridors. Like, these kids will still have to go to lunch. These kids will still have to use the bathroom. These kids, you know, will still arrive, all arrive at 9 o'clock. These kids will all go home at 4 o'clock. Um, so, to say, to say that it's, that the, yes, sir, the, the, the hospitals or the pubs, but that, that's a controlled environment. You know, we've, I mean, you've had calls in the past saying that teenagers are congregating in parks, teenagers are congregating in GA clubs or are lawyers from their own places. Imagine that by mm. 900 students. Uh, I, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a quick comparison, uh, David. I had my first um, pint of beer in a pub since the 14th of March, early yesterday evening. Um, and uh, I wanted to support a friend of mine, so I went down to JP English's, the Oar in Crosshaven. And I went in. I found it very disconcerting. First of all, you couldn't go near the bar, and that's that's statute. You just can't. Okay, you're not allowed. You're not even allowed to touch the bar. So you got to sit down on a low stool and drinking a pint on a, on a on a on a seat. Um, you know, you get fed up with it after a while. But it is what it is. But uh, not only was my name taken, my number taken for social uh, for um, contact tracing purposes, but also, of course, you had to buy the the magic nine euros worth of food. Uh, and it was lovely, uh, and it had to be done. There was maybe two or three other tables in that bar. It was very, very well organized, if you like, distance-wise and, and, and the whole thing. Uh, and, of course, people left at different times and other people came in and they were all very, very much distance. In a pub that I'm used to being in when it's packed, right? Uh, so there might have been maybe 15 or 16 people in the whole premises. And we are six or eight or ten feet apart. And now I'm trying to compare that socially distanced setting a responsible publican doing the right thing, taking numbers for social uh, tracking and health tracking and, and the whole thing, watching the clock. Um, for Look, it's a farcical thing, this number of minutes. It's a farcical thing, as, as Michael Healy Ray said, that the cheese sandwich can protect you from well, anything. It's the distance, really, that protects you. You just can't achieve that in a school. I completely agree. And again, you're comparing apples and apples and oranges. Um, it's, it's frightening. It's actually, wor- I mean, whatever guidance we get, I really don't think even trying to implement it over the next four weeks is even possible. I mean, the first thing I want to say anyway is that 
teachers, we do want to go back. And this non- it's absolute nonsense saying cut pay. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not to- a totality. Well, we'll see over the next couple of months, but I didn't think we're living in a totalitarian state. But um, cutting teachers' pay for... They, I mean, we are working at home. I know people find that, hey, how, well, how can you, how, how can teachers work from home if the kids aren't in front of them? But the remote learning, that is, it's the worst possible teaching environment that you can actually create. Um, because, the, you know, all the educational tiers will tell you that the center of, of education is building relationships. Mm-hmm. And and working interpersonally. In in general, uh, so the, the education. I mean, the prevarication over is the leaving cert on or off went on until uh, you know student health body, student bodies were coming out saying mental health is suffering here. Mental health experts were saying you cannot string these leaving cert and junior cert students along. Junior cert cancelled. They still strung the leaving cert along. I know it's uh, you know on Tisha Gleave Radker at the time he was the teacher uh, saying no no we fully expected to go ahead but they really didn't know. And then it was pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And my uncle said, Dad, <coughs> they've cancelled the Olympics. Don't worry, they'll cancel the leaving cert. And he was proven to be right. He's spot on. He's spot on. And, and one of my biggest critics of Leo, uh, criticisms of Leo Bradker is the minute when he said, by hook or by crook, the, leave, the, the leaving cert will be going ahead. And um, that, was, that was a huge red flag for me because I, again, like that, when you saw the Euros cancelled, when you saw um, the Olympics cancelled, Funny enough, I was meant to be at, a, um, at a, an event in Finland. That was cancelled the first week in March. Okay, can I put then a very direct question to David? As a teacher, uh, and on the front line, and I mean that as a front line teacher, uh, a deliverer of education face-to-face to people, uh, do you think that the education system has been uh, down the pecking order in the hierarchy of importance in the governments, uh, dishing out of, of orders and, and creative ways to beat the virus? Um, and do you think that teacher bashing is now consequently an easy target? In re- response to your first question, absolutely. I mean, you just have to look at what, where we are now. I mean, we're four weeks from, from the new school term and we haven't a clue what we're doing. Um, we haven't a notion what is going to happen on... I, I'm, I'm due back August 28th. I haven't a notion what I'm facing. I don't even know if the school is going to be open. I don't know if it's going to be half students. I don't know if it's going to be just first years. Is it going to be okay. just third years? It's going to be just, I have sure. To I, look, I, I need to move and, on. Are, are, is teacher bashing an easy thing for people to do? I think it's always been an easy target. Um, always. We're, even prior to the pandemic, uh, for example, teachers getting paid for their holidays very quickly. I, I'm teaching 12 years. I've never been paid for June, July and August. I'm paid for what I've done throughout the year. And the, the wage is... The wage is spread throughout the year. It's not that you're paid for June, July, and August. Yeah, not, not that you're paid for time off like that, extended time off. It's, yeah, it's amortised over the year. All right, got to leave it there. Got to move yeah. on to Graham. Thanks, David. Hi, Graham. Hello, Graham. Hello. Hi there. Hi, how are we getting on? Good. Okay. So you're saying teachers worked right through as well because they're working and even more hours from home. Uh, well, I didn't say I was working uh, more hours, but we have worked right through. I mean, I'm looking for pats on the back, but we didn't create this situation. We're dealing with it as best we can. Uh, I'm teaching classes through the summer. Okay. R- remotely, obviously. Uh, yes. I've, uh, Zoomed. I am, I'm somewhat of a unique situation. I run three ASD special classes, so I have weekly classes with, uh, with my students just to maintain contact. Okay. And when um, do you expect to be going back and in what fashion? I'll be back on August 27th, as well every other staff member. Into which uh, school? Medical reasons... Pardon? Which school are you in? Uh, Nagel Community College in Math. Okay. 
And uh, now that's just my expectation. I've been told I'll be back that day, but mm. that's the day. But you're, you're, but you're, you're fully, you're fully ready to go back if you, if, if that's what's ordered. Uh, uh, willing, but am I willing? Okay. No, because I don't know what I'm going back to. Okay, willing is the, is the proper word. Yes. Yes, but again, all teachers, of medical reasons aside, are back. There's this like, oh God, teachers are refusing to go back. We're not, but the it's four weeks away. There is no plan there. Nothing. I mean, the recent uh, guidelines that were sent out a couple of weeks ago said uh, maintain two meters social distance unless you can't, and you can't. Maintain one meter social distance unless you can't, and you can't. You I can't. forget about social distancing. I, yeah, I, so I, I guess what? COVID can't get into schools? And it, it told us, it specifically told us not to wear PPE, not to wear any masks. Now, what other situation are you going to be sitting in a room, and it's in the secondary context, so was, I mean, some of the students I'm going to be working with are adults, and, and they range from 13 to, let's say, 19. They are... Um, Last uh, most recent study out of South Korea said they're every bit as likely to um, spread the infection as I am. Now, health-wise, we're less likely to be affected. Obviously, but there, there are exceptions to that. But generally, as a, as a call, we're less likely, but we're just as likely to spread it. So in what other situation could you have 30-plus people all likely to spread it in a pandemic, sitting in a small room, all interacting with each other, and say, oh, by the way, don't worry about social distancing and don't worry about PPE? It's a Petri dish, to be fair. Yeah, just like I, I, if someone can show me a similar situation where you're just told ignore everything, I, I'd be very interested to hear. Okay, I'd, talking about, I'd like to read an email to you, Graham, because because of the fact that you are a teacher, I'd like you to, I'd like to read this email to you. Hi, Mick, I'm emailing uh, into the show. This just came in about that email you just got from that teacher. I personally think teachers have gotten away with murder throughout the whole pandemic. They have had four months off work with full pay, while so many others in the public sector were redeployed to uh, to swabbing. Uh, while still trying to keep up some of their own work. Uh, I'm not sure what they mean by swabbing there. Anyway, I'm talking about speech and language therapists, social workers, psychologists. Nothing was expected of teachers who were doing nothing. I myself am a child protection social worker, and I was working throughout the pandemic. This meant meeting kids and families in crisis, who you'd best believe didn't take a tap of notice uh, of social distancing rules, lockdown, or hand hygiene. I have colleagues with small kids and elderly parents doing the same job as me who are worried about transmitting the virus. However, we did it, as this is the job we signed up for uh, and our family safety is important to us. I think teachers are far too precious and they've been let away, uh, let get away with far too much. Kids need to go back to school. It's a place of safety and routine for so many. Nearly there. Uh, thanks for sticking with me, Graham. I respect the work no teachers do, but I cannot respect the constant complaining about being worried about getting sick when almost every other public sector professional has had to face these worries for the last four months with little to no support. So many other people have either lost their jobs or have been working in the low-paying employment throughout this pandemic. Teachers have had the luxury of full pay with no pay cuts, no stress about trying to organise childcare so they can continue to work, and they've also had the assurance that they will have a job waiting for them. They still have the audacity to complain about having to go back to work. Apologies for the long email, but this is a topic that really boils my blood. That's from Cara. What would you say to that? Well, if it, if it boils Cara's blood so much, why doesn't she come on here and discuss it with me? I'd really be interested to, to explain to her. However, yeah. surprisingly enough, I haven't been doing nothing for the past four and a half months. We have asked Cara, so let's forget that. She's not coming on. Yeah. Oh, I, I wonder why. Sorry, no. I know. Then again, maybe she's busy and working and all the things. But, um, it's, to be honest, it's worry that uh, someone who's, you said, a social worker? Child protection social worker, is it? Yeah, that would spout off on a job she doesn't know anything about so ignorantly. Sorry, now that's mean of me, but it's true. Um, like you said, we're four weeks away. I like The first thing I said to you when I came on air, of course I'm going back to work. Mm-hmm. The question is, what environment am I going back in? What, where are the guidelines that every other 
employment has. Will there be PPE? Uh, Will there be cleaning I products? Will there be cleaners? Will there be sanitizers? For there to be, for there, there needs there needs to be to be more cleaners. Pretty obviously, there is a far more. I won't go into the details. The classrooms I work in, um, according to the most recent guidelines, uh, my classroom needs to be clean twelve times a day. That's not going to happen, obviously. But currently, it gets it, it might it get gets cleaned at the end of the day. That's it. And that's very good. Staff are brilliant, all that kind of stuff. But in the situation we're going to be going back into, that needs to happen more. So the staff we already have are already flat out doing their job, so there needs to be more of them. To hire any cleaner, they need to get Gatta clearance. If they were all started their Gatta clearance today, it wouldn't be ready for when we go back. The exact same thing applies to sub-teachers. So the idea that, oh, we're going to magically appear sub-teachers because pre-COVID, there weren't enough sub-teachers. So right now, there aren't enough sub-teachers, but we're going to have far more greater demand for them. And the Garda clearance, any new sub-teacher, and Cara and anybody else is more than willing to apply, more than welcome to apply, the Garda clearance they're going to need to pass cannot be done by August 27th or 28th. Uh, 27th when I have to go back, it can vary a day or two. So we're looking in education then at an impending train wreck here, are we? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be a complete mess. And again, I would expect a vast mirror. Oh, God, it's teachers warning about this and teachers not wanting to do it. No, we're all going back to work. As our SNA staff, as all the ancillary staff and cleaners and caretakers and office staff, we're all going to be going back to, unless there's a you know, stand-up medical reason why someone shouldn't, obviously. <laughs> but we're all going to be there. The question is, can we have the PPE? No more like the recent guy I said, we're not meant to wear PPE. I'm not setting foot in my school without PPF. I do, and that's not for my protective. That doesn't protect me. That protects the other per- people I'm in the room with. Does that mean a the face visor? Uh, you know, does that mean full full body covering with gloves and a face visor, or, or just the face visor? Um, I would. With visors are meant to be worn with masks, mm-hmm. and despite a number of politicians tweeting pictures of themselves with just the visor on, it's like no, that doesn't work without the mask too. Um, I, I've seen them worn without the mask behind the plastic screen. Which well, is yeah, probably yeah, the same thing. I'm, yeah, exactly. The, the two layers, I'm not a medical expert to speak, but everything I've read said you need two as opposed to a single one. But like I said, we're all going to be there. All we want from our new Minister of Education and well aware, like six months ago, this Minister of Education was teaching in a classroom. So it has very much been dropped in the deepest of deep ends, which is another completely other topic. But we need guidelines we need PPE, uh, functional guidelines, ones that actually work, not pie-in-the-sky nonsense that we got a couple of weeks ago. We need supplies of PPE to be ordered and distributed to all schools, and there needs to, like, there are plenty of business, you get temperature check coming in the door, hand sanitizers, and face protection. That, that, those are basic things. Um, even inside the schools, like, how are we going to, most school buildings are quite old, even students going to the bathroom. Transitions if, between classes, like can, I, said, can, I, can I ask easy. a rhetorical yeah. question? A, a rhetorical question. <laughs> if, if if the supply chain logistics, which are going to be demanding to get all of that stuff in place, cannot be achieved, and the schools have a deadline, a hard stop, they're opening on the twenty eighth of August. Do you think the government will be tempted to downplay the risk in order to get the schools open? They're already doing it. They're already like the guidelines go and said, "Oh, just ignore everything." That's what the most recent guideline said. Now, that's me being facetious about it, but that's what it boils down to. You can ignore everything so if, you choose, if you choose to on a crowded, crowded plane for your holiday. These are children. These are a bit more important than a family holiday now. Yeah. And they're already telling us to ignore COVID. That is their plan now. They will not have subcovers. They will not have incre- uh, increased numbers of um, cleaning staff necessary because the subs don't exist and, and neither uh, group will be able to get guarded clearance in time to set foot inside in the school. Okay. I'm going to... 
go out and the layman assume they've ordered every, all the PPE and all that kind of stuff for us already, but that's being exceptionally generous of me to assume that's already happened. It's going okay. to be an absolute mess when we go back, but myself and all my colleagues will be there. So the resources will not be in place, the protection necessary will not be in place for either teacher or child. And so the I'm only very, thing... I'm very happy to be proven wrong. Now, with a hard very stop, very there's only one more factor left in the, that multiplication. So, suddenly, there's going to be less risk on the 28th of August. Yeah. Or we're, just, we're told gonna, there's going to be less risk. Yeah. yeah, it's going to get bored of us. Right. Okay, okay, <laughs> gotta, I got to go. We're really, really busy. Thanks a million, Graham. Thank you very right. much. Appreciate the time. You Thanks, cheers. Bye Thanks, bye-bye. Now then, uh, I'm going to go to line six uh, to Mick. Good morning, Mick. Hi. Hi, Mick. How are you doing? I'm good. Can I ask you to hold for a moment, please? Because I'm just backed up. Just need to take a quick break. I appreciate that. No, Thanks, Mick. Thank you. Text the Neil Brenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Mick, thank you for holding. What have you got for us? Yeah. Uh, hi, Mick. Yeah. I'm, I'm not here just to uh, bash teachers, you know? I mean, they've got a job to do, but I, I think they're kind of overreacting with the sense of the, uh, the dangers they face. I don't think they face uh, any greater danger than me or any other people walking, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just listened to Graham there and he made some valid points and uh, I sympathise with a lot of it. But in the end of the day, everyone's met, everyone has actually gone back to work who, who could go back to work. People have walked right through. My, my wife's walked right through. She's walked 12-hour shifts in a nursing home the first couple of weeks. No PPE. They just haven't a clue. But eventually, it all came together. They have a plan. I think it's going to be the same with the schools. I just think the, the teachers are, are overreacting, you know? You think they're overreacting? Well, let me put it, yeah. this, put it, put it to you this way. I had to buy nine euros worth of food last night, sit six, seven feet away from the nearest table, and, and leave the public house after 105 minutes, lest I catch the virus. Uh, right. yet, yet we're asking teachers and students to sit in close proximity for seven or eight hours. How, how, does, yeah. the, how does that fly? How, how does that compare? Well, uh, what, uh, what, I, what I don't understand is would they have had four months to prepare for all this? No, they haven't. They're not allowed to school. No, no, I'm talking about the government. They've had four, oh, absolutely. Four the months. government have. Let, yeah, let, let me make a prediction here, Mick. This issue yeah. is going to become the single biggest hot potato that this new government will have to face. And if they don't face it properly and with certainty around the safety of children and the providers of education, it could be a power-toppling issue. Uh, absolutely, but what, what I'm what I'm saying is that I'm flabbergasted at this stage that there is no uh, back to school plan. I, I've been spending my time in the UK and and back in Ireland working, and they've gone back to school in the UK. I only come back on the ferry two weeks ago. I'm self isolating for fourteen days, but the, the nurseries have opened, the schools have opened. So I don't understand why it can open in one part of Europe and it can't apply in Ireland. I mean. It, 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 it's baffling. That's that's what I'm, I'm just thinking. It's four months of doing what? I'm not having a go at the teachers. They they need the guideline. The reason I got online, uh, the, I asked to come on on air, was because of yesterday's uh, post by a teacher saying that she was going to go sick or he was going to go sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand that because in the end of the day, as I said, my wife's walked right through it. She's paid her tax so that that teacher can get paid. Lots of people I know have walked through it. They've paid the tax. Their tax money is used to fund the teachers. So why? What, what's so special? I understand that, that, that there's concern for their health and safety. But in the end of the day, 
there's it's, there, there has to be a, 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 a concern for the teach for the students' well-being, for the students' education. You know where, where, where we stand right now, Mick, with with the, the majority of the pubs closed, and with a distance of two meters being, uh, you know, the WHO guideline is one meter. We're still at two meters. I think yeah. there's a there's a couple of trump cards here that the government can and probably will play, and and that is to generate a lot of ease and a bit of comfort uh, back into the reintegration of society. In that, probably around the tenth of August, the pubs will be allowed to open. Possibly, the two meters will come down to one meter, and over the course of the yeah. next two or three weeks, there will be a general feeling in society of safety that will allay parents' fear. And then with some cobbled together, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be offensive to the government, but they will have to put something t- together. I, I don't think, for instance, I, I, I dealt with 3,065 primary schools while I was working for a charity. Okay. There's 3,065. That was about 10 years ago. Let's, so let's say there's just 3,000 primary schools. That's just primary schools. Can you imagine the logistics yeah. of putting PPE and sanitizers and, and the expense of doing all that? I'm not saying they won't do it, but what I'm saying is the public psyche will have to arrive at some sort of confidence in the next three or four weeks. I think that's going to happen by the reduction of the two metres and by the opening of the general public house. Absolutely. I mean, I went went for a pint in in London um, two weeks ago and I walked out of the bar because it it wasn't going for a pint. (laughs) You know, Uh, it just didn't feel right. You can't stand at the bar. You have to be here. You have to be there. You didn't have to have food. So I had one beer and I just said, sod it, I'm, I'm, this, isn't, this isn't having a pint. So I went, no, and I don't intend to go into a bar again till it's back, back to normal. As in, I can speak to my mates, stand at the bar in Glamour and have a pint. I, I know publicans you know? who will not open un, under the current regime, even though they could do food and have done food. Until the pure enjoyment of standing at a bar, elbow on the bar, talking to a guy yeah. less than six feet away from you is back. And I'm not running the risk of, of damaging what my business is, which is a, is, is a social interaction enjoyment area. And, and they're just yeah. not opening. Anyway, look, I, I hate to bring everything back to pubs, but they, they, I, I think there's a train wreck waiting to happen here with the schools. It's going to become a huge issue. People have to feel their children are safe going in. And the teachers, because we don't have enough of them already, have to feel absolutely catered for and cared for by the government so that they'll all return en masse as well. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. But the thing is, we, there has there has. I mean, I, I'm just flabbergasted that sixteen weeks or so has gone by and there is no plan for schools, and they've they, they've managed to get the the, well, the 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 hospitality areas up and running, but they've left the schools right up to three or four weeks before we actually go back uh, to send the kids back. So at the start it was different. And my my wife works in a care home. And at the start, they had no guidance. My wife was coming home and she hadn't clue. She did, they didn't have face masks on day one. And now it's a swab every week. It's, it's a, a nasal swab every week. Every Wednesday or Thursday, a nasal swab. And it's perfect. There's not one case in that home. All, everybody understands their protocols. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. There's no, no COVID case in that school. And I'm sure it's going to have, it'll be fly by wire when they go back to school. I'm sure things won't be 100% perfect. But I'm sure they'll figure out a way of making it at least a safe environment. Fly-by-wire fly is an exact aviation science. I think you're probably referring to fly by the seat of their pants. But Mick, <laughs> thanks, thanks for the yeah, call. Yeah.
Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Now on WhatsApp, which is a great way to text us, by the way, on 0868104106. I'm a secondary school teacher and I really desire to go back to school. I want to see my students and help my students. They found this whole experience extremely tough and for many, school is their safe haven. I'm fortunate that I'm healthy myself but I have a high-risk family member that I would be very conscious of, but I still want to go back and take precautions with that. But that's me. I'd love a scenario as cases are reasonably low, that all schools go back and in the event a school develops a case, close that school. During this pandemic, teachers rose to the mantle and moved online. I conducted live online classes and recorded countless others for multiple years. It was way more work, prepping content, recording content, and literally, fortunately, receiving emails from hundreds of students and seeking to get back to them as fast as I could, but I was happy to do it. But teaching needs human contact to be most effective. This is what the pandemic has proven most to me. And that's from a teacher. Hi, Mick. That message from the anonymous primary teacher sums it up nicely. They complain about the public opinion from the nice position of a secure job. They claim to have worked full hours through the pandemic. That's laughable. Firstly, they've already been on holidays for a number of weeks already. Secondly, it shows the real quality of work that teachers put in if it takes them eight hours daily to prepare homework while they are not teaching in person. I'm a parent of two primary school kids and throughout the pandemic, our school managed to have just two virtual classrooms where kids could see and talk to their teachers. In my opinion, teachers would have had a chance to make a difference during these times with a positive attitude and creative engagement with the kids. Instead, apps were used and homeschooling was left to the parents. Teachers should not wonder about comments like these. You are lazy and reactive. You should be ashamed of yourselves and honestly look in the mirror and ask yourselves if you did. Well, I think that will be hurtful and harmful to many teachers, but we read it out uh, because, uh, you know, we don't vet things here. We kind of are a barometer or a gauge for the public mood. And when you talk about teachers, you're always going to get those who believe that they get paid for nothing during the summer instead of having their wages amortized over the year. And you're always going to get people saying that they're an incredibly valuable resource. Uh, And look at the education levels and the third level education success that we have had here in this country. You can't have that, the success of UCC and other universities, without the success uh, of our primary and our secondary schools. I'm going to take a call from Gina now. Hi, Gina. Hi, Miss. How are you? I'm good. Now, about back to uh, school. You're a mother of four. Yes, I'm a mother of four. Three in secondary school and one in primary. Uh, my eldest is meant to be sitting. He's leaving cert in September. Um, I, I, I just like would like some guidelines um, to how we're going to proceed and go forward. Um, like, I live in a, in a village uh, my children go to school in Rack- in Formoy, so three of them go on the the bus. Like, how are they going to do the social distancing aspect on the bus? Because, like as I said, there are bus here and are doing um, running bus services, but they're at a reduced number. So, how is that going to affect the the, the schools come September? Like, can, how are they can, going to get can you deliver them personally, or is that is that possible? No, it's not okay, possible. Okay. So they're going to be mixing in a bus, mask or no mask, whatever it's going to be at the time. They're going to be mixing in a bus. Then they're going to be mixing in school. Uh, and they're going yeah. to be in, let's say, let's imagine, are they in three or four different schools or one or two? Um, they're in there's, there's two, two separate schools. Two I separate have schools. One, one boy in an all boy school in Fumoy and the other two went to the mixed education school. But that's a lot um, of social interaction to be funneling back into a concentrated nature coming back through the front door, isn't it? Yes. And as I said, I still I have a boy then going into fourth class in September as well. So like he he's uh, he's in a classroom of twenty nine children. So how are they going to like? There's no way that the as it stands that the two meter distancing will be will be able to be in, implemented. 
um, in that classroom. Mm-hmm. Never mind secondary schools where they have to go to different classrooms for different subjects, be it home economics, the sciences, PE, or like even the fact that some children do ordinary level and some children do higher level subjects. Uh, so this, the one yeah. teacher does not teach all. I, and I, I can't see teachers moving from room to room working in a secondary uh, context because there's so many subjects. People, It's the students that need to move. Yes, but again, as I said, teachers, like some, like just say my child will do honours maths and a, the, a child in his class does ordinary maths, they're, they're not being taught the same. They have to move. Mm-hmm. So, like, the teacher coming to the classroom will, is not going to work. Now, I understand that, like, children need to go back to school. I do. But as I said in my, in my text to you on WhatsApp, the government are meant to be leading. And I, I, I phrase that meant. You made a very good point there, actually. So, so let, let's concentrate on that. The country. Yeah. Yeah, they're meant to be leading the country. Yet, yeah, if you watch any news, they're in the doll, and there, there, there is no way the doll is sitting fully. Now, to me, when the doll sits fully and reconvenes and sits a full sitting for the full day instead of your two hours, then maybe we should think about sending our children back to school. Let the government lead by example. And at the moment, they're not. All they're doing is lying in their own pockets. Okay, so we've, we've no clear guidelines, but all the kids are meant to be going back to school on the 28th of August, and yet the government are 20 feet apart inside the doll. Absolutely. It it makes no sense to me. And as I said, they're the leaders of this country. They're meant to be the leaders of this country. They when when they do they when they do what they're being paid to do, then as I said, talk about sending our children, our vulnerable children, back into the settings that they want. If it's if it's good enough for my child to sit in a classroom of twenty nine children and as I said, that's my youngest then surely be to God it's okay for the likes of Michal Martin, Leo Varadkar, Eamon Ryan to do the same mm-hmm. instead of being asleep in, inside in a, in a vote. <laughs> yeah, there was a couple of uh, Matty McGraws, the other one, wasn't it? And, uh, and Eamon Ryan. Uh, some very funny stuff on social media about that, but that's a different point. I, but I do take it your is, point. It is, but um, like, I'm just saying that they need to, like, they're up there and they're sitting in the doll, and, but they're, like, as you said, they're two metres apart. There's, there's not a full... There, 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 the, the doll isn't sitting fully. So my thing is, when the doll sits fully and they're not doing their two metres apart and they're not even, and they're there for a full day, then send our children back into when they have to travel on a bus or travel into classrooms that they meet. I mean, my children come September. Well, my children are meant to be going back on the 1st of September. My children go back on the 1st of September. They're going to meet hundreds of children. And hundreds of other children and teachers. How is that how is that adhering to the guidelines that the government have now set in place? They must have a crystal ball because it's gonna take an incredible amount of leadership to get this this whole topic uh, covered safely. Uh, for like for instance, all of the hotels and public houses will have to be open with very little restrictions. Uh, all of the masks should probably not be necessary on public transport and on supermarkets. Uh, or are we going to force our children to sit six feet apart and wear a mask for eight hours. It's, it's going to take some leadership to navigate this issue. It is, and I, it is, and I don't think, like, three, four weeks out that we, we, we are anyway close to sending our children, to comfortably sending our children back into... So, so shouldn't they have, Gina, said, look, all going well, we're going to open the schools at the end of August. Not going well, 
it'll be the end of September. But we fully expect that, you know, despite, you know, well, we can't look into the future, but we fully expect 100% of schools to be open by the end of October. That would have given people some chance to believe that they know what they were doing. But I don't think they do. I think, no, to a certain extent they they know what they're doing. But they're making it up as they go along because they don't know how the figures are going to go. Yeah, I don't, I honestly, I honestly don't think they know what they're doing to be, to be, to be fair to you. Um, like, as I said, my eldest is doing, he's leaving cert, um, come September. Now, he is, and are all, every boy and girl in his, the same situation as him, they are so, so far behind because of what happened through no fault of theirs. Now, again, some teachers absolutely phenomenal to it all. Others, not so much from my experience. But that being said, across the board, all children going into sixth year in September are behind. They're okay. behind exponentially where they should be. And they're, they're not even talking about what, what plans are in place. I know, in that sense, they need to go back. Let's, let's get them back first and then put the plans in place. Gina, I'm way backed up for time. Thanks a million for your call. No problem. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. 11 minutes to 11 o'clock now. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And a very good morning to you at seven and a half minutes to ten. Chloe, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Mick? Very good. Uh, taking a final call on this subject. you understand some teachers may be nervous at the thought of going back to work? Oh, yeah, I do. It's, it's obviously going to be a nerve-wracking thing for anyone, you know, going to the unknown. You know, they're not, they're not sure what to expect. But, um, you know, I mean, like, once, once they get into the, their routine, once they get into their routine and stuff, and once the government do give them their PPE and stuff, they should be fine, you know? Yeah, if that's a huge logistical exercise, though. You sound like you've got a preschooler there with you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> have you got school-going kids as well? Um, yeah, I do. I have, a, I have another girl. She's going into, four, hopefully going into fourth class now in, in a couple of weeks. And just uses all her friends. They need it for the, more for the social aspect as well. Um, to go back to school and see their friends and like they need to interact with the teachers to fair, fair enough but how, how much how much comfort do you need on their safety obviously it's going to be foremost in every parent's mind yeah oh of course of course but I mean like they like they are all like the start of the school year anyway is that they're always going to come home at like coughs and colds and they're, they're they're prone to picking up things like that and I, I'm quite confident that they that you know the school like that my daughter's school will have their safety at you know the forefront of their minds no. Do you think it's going to be down to individual principles, though? To you know, maybe they'll get a little bit of a budget and say, "Go off and do now." You know, get the, get the old sanitizers and make it look good, and make sure that the teachers are wearing this, that, and the other. Uh, or is the? Do you think there will be a concerted Department of Education directive and effort to get this right? And um, well, I think it should be like across all across all schools. They should all be, um, you know, have the same kind of. Um, sorry. The same le- level, the same standard of safety, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they should all have the same standard. Um, obviously, then it is down to individual principals and, t- and the teachers as well in the classrooms to um, implement and make sure the kids are like using their hand sanitizers and um, things like that. But I don't like. I don't think like giving kids masks or anything like that should be. Should, they they shouldn't do that. How much do you think the enforced absence from their friends has impacted mentally on your own children? Well, in my own in my own daughter, it definitely has impacted her at the start. All right, she really missed her friends, and she missed. She kind of didn't understand why she couldn't see them, um, even though she is nine. You know, she she was used to seeing them every day, and then I suppose not seeing her friends as well as not seeing her like her extended family it really got to her. And I think it is good. It is important for all kids' mental health to actually get back to their own, get back to their routine. Mm-hmm. 
All right, uh, thanks for that. We have so many texts. This it's a huge, huge topic here. And I know it's going to roll on, and we probably will be back to it again on Monday. We may change subject now after 11, but we may come back to this on Monday. We have lots of people wanting to get on and get their tuppence worth in. Uh, and that's what the program's here for. But thanks, Chloe. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, Mick. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, Mick. My friend is a principal in London. They've worked away for the last few weeks. Temperature checks for everyone, hand sanitizer for everyone on entry into school. The kids' mental health is a huge issue here. Kids need to re-socialize. They cannot learn online. Teachers struggle to teach online anyway. It's very understandable they do. Uh, it's very hard to keep kids interested and motivated in the classroom, worse so online. If the government implemented quarantining properly and controlled borders properly, we could reopen everything like New Zealand, put stop to house parties and stop pussyfooting around. It is so frustrating. But no, they seem to keep <clears throat> advising and <clears throat> recommending not strong enough to implement uh, implement real laws. Why is that? Who is protecting the Irish people? Says Eileen. Sarah says if they're not happy, they should give up working. The teachers, that is. I bet there's hundreds of teachers out there who jump at the chance of a full-time job. Uh, Marie says, is this one for real? Welcome to the real world. It's such a joy. Uh, where have you been the last four months? Uh, you are preparing to get sick while healthcare staff have died on the front line to help others. Nobody prepares to get sick. We all have jobs to do. Work is money. COVID is not going to disappear into thin air. We have instructions on how to best prepare ourselves and how to help ourselves. Do you really think the world can just stop and we can all sit at home on full pay and let everyone else carry the can? Come on out, do your bit. We're all in this together no matter what your job is. And Jean says, while virtual learning sounds like the option, this person is leaning towards, then what about the parents who have to go back to work and school is their childcare? They need to keep a roof over their heads too and that of their children. Everyone has risks in their own personal circumstances. It's time to get back to work for everyone. Can I say a very quick and very special happy birthday to a wonderful Cove woman, Mary Fanagan, who turned 101 this week and who is a resident in Cove Hospital. She's an avid bingo player. She misses playing it at the moment, but will be raring to go when it restarts once again. 101, a very happy birthday to you, Mary Flanagan. 104 to 106, Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And good morning to John Toomey. How are you, John? Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? Very good. Now, we're bringing you on to tell us all about a very innovative app in the food ordering game. Is that a crowded segment of the market? There are some big brand names in there. Um, I suppose it is, but what we're doing is, is a little bit different. Um, so we think there's space there for us, especially in the current climate. Um, we think it's a very good idea what we've developed. Um, so we're hoping. It's looking very positive at the moment. Um, oh. So if you'd like me to walk you through it. Absolutely. How, how does it work? Soup to nuts, as they say. So, Pardon the pun. Yeah. Imagine, imagine a life where you could walk into any cafe, restaurant, bar, um, sit at a table, take out your, your phone and scan a QR code on the table, order your pint and your, your sandwich, your nine euro sandwich, and it's brought to your table. Ah, and now, now I, I, I see in a nutshell, I see a big difference here already because, you know, the other, and I won't mention their names, the other incumbent apps have, have menus from, from uh, restaurants on the app yeah. itself. We're not going to sabotage, we're not going to sabotage you and stick you up there with a whole load of other uh, and compete against yourself or other places. It's your own, it's your own space, it's your own um, URL that we create for you when you set up your, your, your um, account. So it's directing directly to your app. So the idea, especially at the moment with, with what's going on, is that it's, it's table service. There's this it's yes. reducing contact. Like you spoke earlier when you went to your pint. Uh, you absolutely, have, it was uh, table service, John, yeah. So yeah. Let, let's, fr from a customer experiential point of view, let, let's look at two different things. Let's look at the customer first and then maybe how a business can sign up. Yeah, so what we try to do is make life 
simple. I don't believe in, in making anything complicated. So we make it really simple from the customer point of view that they can just scan a QR code. They don't have to create an account. They don't print passwords, email addresses, any of that kind of stuff. They just scan a QR code and up pops the menu of the restaurant they're in or the cafe they're in. They order, stick it in the cart and pay with their card. It has Apple Pay, Google Pay, so it's all very, very simple and it goes through. So that's the customer dealt with. No complication. We also provide a URL so it uses the business name. So if they can't manage a QR code, scanning a QR code, uh, there's a URL. So if your cafe is toolyscafe.sufi.com, you just type it into to Google and up comes your menu and it's really, really simple. Okay. Um, so, so we don't complicate things with accounts or passwords or any of that kind of stuff. And you, you don't need a QR reading app to do this. It's all built in. iPhones, iPhones. the um, the camera on an iPhone will read the QR code. Um, for Androids, you'll need a QR code reading app. But if you don't, if you can't use the QR code, then we also provide a URL. So we use the business name com. So if you, do, if you have an Android and you don't have the QR code reading app and you don't want to download it, then you can just type in com and it pops your menu of the cafe you're in. Okay, so one, one of the biggest food multiples in the world has recently installed kiosks. And you go in and, you know, notwithstanding, there may be some restrictions now because of the hygiene and all that kind of thing. And let's not mention any, any yeah. uh, major names yeah. here. Uh, but the kiosks, you know, that has a kind of a digital on-screen representation yeah. of their menu. Why didn't someone think of putting just QR code on their table? I, I, I asked myself, ask myself the same question. Why in the name of God would any business invest in all that hardware with big kiosks or pads on the table or stuff when you go in the door? Everybody nowadays, the life we live, carries a phone. And 99% of them are smartphones. So you can do it all on a smartphone. You don't, the business doesn't need to invest in any hardware whatsoever. Um, and from the business point of view, we make it really simple. They don't need a website. They don't need to have anything. You can sign up uh, on Sufi.com in 10 minutes and you're up and running. There's no complication in this. There's no hardware cost. There's no, like, life is an awful lot simpler than a lot of people make it. Um, now, it's it's very difficult to make things simple, but that's what we focus on doing. So in, in this day and age, when now we can't physically not just stand at a bar, John, you, you can't queue at a bar, you can't congregate at a bar, uh, the, 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 the bar or the restaurant will have, for instance, uh, their own tablet anyway behind the counter, uh, and Mick sits down, scans a code, and orders a, a pint and a bite to eat, or whatever is necessary to... To, to order to fulfill the regulations. And that goes into a queue on the, uh, on, on the bar receiving system and the staff know, uh, okay, Mick has ordered, but there's two before him. Serve them first, then Mick, then the next guy, then the next guy. That's exactly it. It just appears in a row in a tablet or even on a phone behind the bar. It's very, very simple. Uh, it just pops up and it's a queuing system. And when they won't close, the next one pops into the line and just simple, simple queuing system. Okay. Um, and, and they drop down the orders to you. And you can obviously see your bill online as it's growing and you can possibly even pay it online, can you? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you put everything into your, your you, you work it through, put it into your, your um, basket and then you pay for it before the order goes through. So it's all paid for. There's no handling cash. There's no difficulty in working out anything. It's just paid for. It comes through paid and they bring you down the, the food or your pint or whatever it is and you're done. Okay, so as innovative an idea as this would seem to be, it obviously needs to be marketed. And how's that going? And what's the take-up like? Um, yeah, so, so we're not long out there. We tried to, we, we actually, it's funny, this idea has been around in our office for, we worked on it about three or four years ago. We parked it because we brought out another app in the meantime, uh, Payments App for Businesses, um, to take our payments. And then when this whole pandemic started, we said, hmm, there might be something here. Let's resurrect it again and bring it out. So we're not long out in the market. Um, 
getting your idea out there for any business of our size, and we're a small uh, business based in Blackpool, um, it, it's difficult uh, when you've a tight budget to advertise, but it's going well, um, getting very, very good interest in it. Um, but advertising and pushing the idea and just letting people know that it's there is always the difficulty. I walk into some places and say, God almighty, how much did they spend on this? Why didn't they know that Swoofy was there and it would have been so much cheaper for them? an awful lot less complicated like you don't have, the, the other side that, that, that really gets to me is when I see similar stuff around you have to download the app onto your phone and people I think if it's, I, I am anyway personally it annoys me to have to download apps and tells me I don't have enough space on my phone like to delete it and I might only use that app once a month or yeah. once or twice a year there's no downloading the app when you scan the QR code up pops the menu Oh, so the QR code is your portal, if you like, in, into your technology. Yeah. yeah, so it just launches, it, 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 it's what we call a progressive web app. So it looks like an app on your phone, it looks like a normal app that you've downloaded, and it behaves like that when you're using it. But you didn't need to download and save that app onto your phone. So no so accounts, no passwords, no logins, no email addresses? Exactly. Wow, okay. Very simple. All right. That really is, the simplicity of this, I think, is, is the power that's behind it. Where can where could one try it out? So... Swoofy.com, S-W-O-O-F-E.com. Um, you can go up there, you can sign up. All the information is there. If you want to contact us, contact details are there and have no problem talking to anybody about it or calling out to see anyone and showing them how it works. And that's for businesses, yeah? That's for, for yeah, any cafe, restaurant. Um, Takeaway, take pubs. You can also, yeah, we, you know, when you sign up, you can do eating, takeaway um, or, or delivery. Uh, so we offer all three services on it. It's a, it sounds amazing, and it's so just drastically simple. Why didn't somebody think of this before? And they weren't from Cork. S W O O F E E. That's it, uh, John. You're based in Blackpool, so there's a big core concern here. You're providing employment. Obviously, it's an innovative idea. It's going to make things so much simpler from a hygiene perspective, uh, if, if nothing else. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, yesterday, quite rightly, I had to have a visit to the table to take my uh, contact tracing details, and then, of course, a visit to, to the table to. Uh, to bring the food and then to bring the pint or whatever. Uh, and that's a little interaction and it's very, very limited and, and was run so very well by the Orr and Cross Haven. But uh, I think you've got options here to even take that contact to a lower level and take the information provided to an automatic upper level. Yeah, and it also covers the contact tracing because when you make the order, the one thing we just ask you to put in is your name and your telephone number. Okay. It sounds great. We wish you every success with it, John. Swoofy Food, S-W-O-O-F-E-E. Every success with it, John. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, bye-bye. It's the Neil Prendival Show. You can call us on 1850 text 0868 and of course that works for WhatsApp as well. If you want to put in the NP Show or just Red FM into your uh, into your WhatsApp, 0868 and Neil at redfm.ie. To a different topic now on the theory test. Hi, Stephen. Hi, how's it going? Good. Now, theory tests, driving tests, driving lessons, everything is backed up. Tell me all about yeah. it. Well, we, we tried to start booking the test in 4th February last year, and she booked it with a translator for the 24th of March. Now, the, the COVID-19 kind of started around then, so they couldn't do the test because of social distancing with the translator next to her. So they, they emailed us to cancel. So I rang, and I said, look, no problem. She's been practicing in English for the whole time. She'll do it just in English straight out. And they said, no, that they get to start away. So they were, they were actually open on 24th of March. She could have done it. But then they rebooked up for the 26th of March. And unfortunately, that was the day they closed. Okay. So they cancelled it again. Then they booked up for the 12th of May, cancelled again. 20th of May, cancelled again. And the 23rd of July yesterday, we had our test. Now, we went down, but we, she brought a long ID. She gave us Spanish national identity card, which is out of date. 
and she showed him the other ID she had. It was just a passport. Oh, that's no, unfortunate. That's all, that's all false, fair enough. We had to go to McCroom because the waiting list was so long for car. So I said to the girl, I said, look, leave her there to do the test. I'll fly home, get the passport. I'll be back. And I'll give her the passport. And she said, no, she'd be fired if she let us do that. So, ah, look, come on. we were wrong. We were wrong, look, I know we were wrong. There could have been a bit of leniency. We're waiting six months for it. Um, but that was all it was. So, I rang to rebook, and they said February the 4th, which ironically is one day of exactly today, a year later. A year so, later. This is a theory yeah, test. Totally. Can you imagine so, what's happening with driving lessons and driving tests? Oh, crazy. So, I said, why? And they said, look, it's so, so this has been where we're reducing our capacities drastically. That's why the way and this is so long. Now, the way I look at it is, it shouldn't be that long. Because if you walk into Ladbrokes, you can bet on the machines in Ladbrokes next to another person. There's three next to each other, and there's a prospect in between them all. You can go into in the booth and print pictures next to somebody as you're in the same screen. Now, the series is a computer-generated software. I don't understand why they can't have prospects between people and wear a mask and sanitize that. It should be easy to manage, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I was like, I went to care these last week to test the care, and I walked in, and they have a massive setup. They have temperature check one in the door, you know? The series has had nothing yesterday. I walked in, and was out in the crumbs, a little kind of a, an outhouse. When you open the door, there's four seats in a waiting area. You're allowed to sit and wait next to people. Huh. But, and there was one girl there, no mask on. I don't know, you know, and you've been picky, but I'm just saying, like, and it's just an eye, you know, you've waited every seven months, and it was, I know it was on the state, but when we were cancelled five times. Yeah, cancelled five times, and your girlfriend recently had a baby and just wants a bit of independence to be able to take the child places when. Yeah, but it's going to be all great without me anyway for the first few months, but she wants to get on our, start moving it, get full license so she can have a bit of independence when I'm in work. Like, I got a degree, so I want to start working nine to five. That day, they will have a pines in the doctors, you know? I won't be able to get time off work. She'll have to rely on public services and all that, so she wants the, the independence, yeah. you know? Yeah. Now, now, and, and we've contacted yeah. the RSA on your behalf. We're awaiting a response. We'll be back to you as soon as that comes back to us, okay? Yeah. Well, see, the part, I don't know. It's not really just about me. Like, it's, it's going to be a big problem because if people are away in seven months, they'll stay on the, on the website when you want to book a test, you have to just verify you don't have symptoms and blah, blah, blah. So, can you imagine if you know that you're going to wait seven months if you don't do your test today, but you have a cough? Some people will take the chance. They'll say, you know, I have to, I'll wait another seven months, I'm going to go in if I'm coughing. And that's a problem. Yeah, I know. You know, so people are going to take the risk. And the other thing I was, I was always wondering, just I'm on the radio, I'm going to say, um, the language the language is in the theory test. I don't understand the law. You can do Lithuanian, Polish, Russian, Romanian, Arabic, and Portuguese. You can't do Spanish, Italian, French. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the European Union. The call the sack is a French word. Decode is a French word. You can't do it in French. So you can do Arabic, which are part of the European Union. So then I pass the free movement of people. But we can't accommodate languages of Spanish, Italian, French, in German even. Well, all of the European Union, you imagine, should be covered before you start going further afield. No, and you can't watch it. So when you're, when you're doing your practice, when you're reading, you have to read in English. You can get the voiceovers in Lithuanian, Polish, Russian, Romanian, Arabic, and Portuguese. But you can't read it. They'll actually supply this. They were supplying us a translator free of charge. Now, I don't know who pays that. But it's not us. Okay. Free of charge translator. Wouldn't it be more beneficial to just pay a translator one thought to translate every single question in that language? And have that extra language. If someone goes in, they click on Spanish, they can read it in Spanish answer because all the questions are the same. It doesn't matter what language it's in. And it would save money in the long term instead of paying times, or 50 euros every time they come down. Yeah, exactly, yeah. it would be, yeah, yeah. Fair point. Listen, we've contacted the RSA on your behalf. We'll see you. I'm not sure we can get you a speeded up uh, theory test, but uh, to have it back for to all but one day for a year. Uh, now, I realise you did make your own errors yesterday, but let's see what we can do, okay? Perfect. Thanks very much, Mick. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, Mick. You clearly have some family member who is a teacher. You are feeding all of your very strong opinions to your guests. To allow a teacher on air to say education can wait 
and not challenge them shows a complete bias. Teachers are paid throughout the summer. Uh, it is just apportioned throughout the year. I believe you vaguely acknowledge that. Oh, I, I strongly acknowledge that twice. I have uh, three friends and one family member who are teachers in four different locations who spent two hours maximum preparing the week's schoolwork and sending it out and got the pleasure of a full week's pay. There are always exceptions to the rule, of course. Kids have been fully socialising for weeks now. GAA and all that is back now, and many teachers have been socialising too. Furthermore, to correct you, every single teacher has been back to school to collect their stuff, as have been the children. Uh, on that point, before I continue with the letter, yes, I know that, but uh, at the start, they weren't allowed to. That's all I was saying. I would suggest uh, you keep a more impartial view instead of feeding the teacher hysteria around a very emotive subject. The huge number of parents who cannot work as their hours revolve around their children's school hours is also a huge issue. Teachers need to slap on their masks and get back to work like the rest of the population who paid for their own PPE and like myself who are in the high-risk category but have a family to support. I'm sending this in my 15-minute break, and I'm now going back to work, like the rest of the working population, excluding the teachers. So happy to read that out. I don't have any family member. I don't think I even have a friend who is a teacher, so I'm not uh, harping a teacher agenda or pushing my opinions on anybody. Uh, and if you think that, I'm sorry, but if you want to come on the air and discuss it with me, uh, the lines are always open on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six, and you'd be very, very welcome. Uh, we have some more calls and comments. Uh, we're going to be talking about a man living in a van, talking to a man who lives in a van. Could you do it? Uh, and, of course, the Young Offenders has generated an awful lot of texts and comments uh, from the comments we had on the program two days ago. Right now, 22 minutes past 11. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. 25 past 11. Good morning, Keith. Nick, how things? Good by yourself. I tell no, Mick, I'm looking forward to the, tonight, the young offenders. I have three fiends on yesterday. Oh, there's lots of divided opinion on the positivity or the negativity, depending on where you stand uh, regarding the young offenders. But I mean, it is unbelievable that's for the North side. The crack is my... Could you imagine them doing a film out in the South side? Going around the lock, that's all the camera will be, because that's all the South side does go is around the lock. And what about Ro Rochestown? Huh? What about the other uh, environs of the south side? Rochestown and Glenbrook no, yeah. and... Uh, no, they're all, they're all the lock, Mick. Right? Even though that's what, though, even your, your fields though, in the south side, though, even the swans have to get fruit <laughs> in the lock. Right? The swans have to get fruit, not bread. No bread, no all fruit, no, that's it. And give them the skins. The Norris, we goes over, we give them the full orange. Uh, <laughs> and they throw back the skins. So you've enjoyed the young offenders from the start, Keith, have you? Ah, it is brilliant. It is brilliant. I think this is one of the best shows. I mean, we done that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we took bikes. Not stole them, no. We took them, headed way down Faggot Hill, and came back up and put the bike back. Right. And if, if, wouldn't even know about it. And if life is like the young offenders, it might be a little better than it is today, you're saying, just stealing bikes and things. But and there you go, that's what I said. Uh, if, the, if the young lads are only stealing bikes, though, that's what they instead of cows, and doing what they're doing or whatever. I just son there, that's what, he, he bought a cow, and it was robbed that night. Two 14-year-olds. And what they get? A slap in the hand. Two 14-year-olds robbed the car? Two 14, brand new cow. That's what it was. Took it over the drive and busted the car up 
and they got a, a, a slap in hand. Uh, you wouldn't see the parents come over and say sorry or anything. Do you know what I mean? That's what I say about the young offenders. If the kids could watch it, I know that was a black pigeon or whatever. But if they only carry down the way that they carry down, uh, to be aggressive, yeah, it's, as people were saying, it's a comedy farce. It's like the Keystone Cops. You know, you got you got the two likely lads. Uh, you, you, know got, you got the very spirited mother, uh, played by Hilary Rose, and of course you have uh, you know the, the cops are chasing. There's a villain thrown in there, or well, a hard man, and uh, played by Shane Casey, Billy Murphy, thrown in there for good make, measure. Make you know something? Just like the old story, I was a father of fifteen years of age, right? Right? And I stood with the wife down, whatever they are now, that's it. Right? And I'd be looking at it, and I'd be saying, Do you know something? Do you see the exact same thing that we don't? Now, now uh, that there's a baby in it, is it? Huh? Now that there's a baby in it, is it? No, there's a baby. I'm just saying, I was a fair fifteen, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, and at that time there, that's it. And I'd be looking at it, and be something else, to be laughing, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it happened. It happens now. Do you know what I mean? Like, just pure look. Uh, I think this is the best crack that you'll ever see. That's it. And what do you think of the performances of Alex Murphy and Chris Wally, the main men? Or the main, ah, the main, the main young offenders? Yeah, they're brilliant. I, I'll just speak into the tomb there one time there, that's it. Uh, they're gasping all together there, that's it. I could have went into it myself. I think you should probably be included. <laughs> so big. No, but what I say, Mick, is that there's people coming on, right? There's everything. You know, when I got a letter in the door, COVID 19, I thought my hatch was after changing in the door. <laughs> <laughs> You're a car- what sort of character would you see yourself playing in The Young Offenders? In The Young Offenders, uh, I'd have to wheel myself around in the wheelchair, I'd say, Mick. Uh, but would you be a guard now? Would you be a judge? Would you be a shopkeeper? What would you be? Boy, just give me the judge. Boys up with old judges there, that's it there. I had the best judge. Well, I had one judge in this man. But I tell them the others, so yeah. I would, I'd be a judge and I'd be an honest man. But what I'm saying is, could you imagine basing the old handles on the suiciders? I have a cousin out to Southside, and I would call it the Bahos one time, mate, right? Okay. And she was, remember the Buster Sprouts in the bag? I do. The plastic bag, right? A little net bag, wasn't it? Yeah, net bag, is that right? Huh? And she was cooking them with the net bag. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, what am I going missing? Hang on there a second. Will, will, will you hang on, Keith? Our mad Keith, as I'm going to call it. Hang on there. We're going to talk to Olivia as well. Hi, hi, Olivia. Hi, Mick. How are you? Not too bad. We try to do something a little lighthearted every Friday, but I think Keith has taken the biscuit. He's some character, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. You think it's very <laughs> funny as well, do you? Pardon? You think it's very funny as well? No, I actually do. Like, I, I really enjoy it, and I think it really portrays... I suppose Cork, it's humour, and I think it's a brilliant show, and, you know, like, I think it does, does put great light, and, like, also, we had it filmed in our village here last year, and there was such a fantastic buzz in the village, and the crew was so lovely, and, you know, it just did really, I suppose, now was before, obviously, lockdown, but um, it was a thing to see, and, again, like, our village here would be quite... What village is that? Um, it's a very bad phone line, Olivia, could you just move a small bit there? 
Sorry, Mick. Yeah. Uh, Carrick Navarre, the phone reception out here is very, very poor. Okay. Uh, phone people <laughs> take note. Oh, absolutely. But, um, yes, so Carrick Navarre here, uh, Mick, it's, it was filmed here last year and there was just such a fantastic buzz around and all of the crew and the staff they just came out and met all the well, locals. there you go, Mick. I mean, like, that's money, like, for the... Do you know what I mean? That's money, like, for yeah, the visit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I just... You know, I don't mind anybody robbing the bike. I'm putting it back. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to West Cork for a bale of cocaine. <laughs> that, that, that was a very yeah, clever scenario, though. It was a very clever scenario. Nothing left when they arrived home. But yeah. you know something? I was brilliant. But make you know something? I went to see it in the picture house, right? The the movie. Mm-hmm. And I said to the wife after, I said, I never see so many people laughing in the one room. Everybody laughing in the picture house. I think the movie was amazing. Wonder brilliant. You have one of the movie props there, Keith, on the way. The, the yellow bike was there. Uh, and, and people could actually walk around and get a picture on it and cycle it up and down the movie hall. And there's fiends come on the phone. No Bjorns. I know there's a Bjorn on the phone there. Oh, Olivia, he just called you a Bjorn. Oh. That's okay, that's another cork slang, Mick. We take that, that's no problem. <laughs> it's a cork slang, do you know what I mean? And that's what that's I say, to bring it back. I'll be honest with you, Mick, I'm dead serious. I watched it. And when he had a child in, he said, my mum burst in her laughing. It was us. That was you back in the day. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was 15 years old. 15 years old. And that was us. And we and went in there, that's what it, I went into the hospital the whole lot. So I was only a young man. Do you know what I mean? But years afterwards, you laugh about it. Do you, do you have I any, believe it, not. Do you have any I funny stories, I, Keith, from, from your time growing up that might match the young offenders? <laughs> well, I tell you, <laughs> I don't know, right? I was in town one day. Right? And next morning, uh, I was arrested. Right? No stupid thing, no wisdom. And into the Bible station and, uh, and the girl kept on asking me. And I have an awful feel uh, of the same what? And next one, he said to me, uh, what's your name? I said, what? He said, what's your name? What? You say what well, once more now. He said, I'll give you a bothering box. A bothering box. <laughs> I haven't heard that one for a few years. My dear late friend Frank O'Brien used to say that one. Oh, he got a bothering. That's a South Side expression. He got a bothering box. I said to the grandkids, don't make. I said to the kids, if you keep that up now, I give you a bottom box. That's <laughs> it, right? <laughs> Any funny stories your side, Olivia? It's not that really stories that come to mind, Mick, I suppose, but like where. So the reason I love the show as well is because a lot of where it was filmed was where I grew up as a child and just seeing the school that I went to school in secondary school and that, it just brought back a lot of memories. Like I suppose I don't have really funny stories, but. You know, it just brought back again its those memories from about 30 odd years ago and it was just great that the show was filmed around that area because it probably is never really portrayed on a positive side, I think, in the media and that's my own personal opinion. But I think just yeah. it's a great thing for the, for the area, Mick, and, you know, finally there was a bit of positivity around and, you know, and, and they even, all the extras they took on were from the local area and, again, I just think it's a very positive thing to do. Yeah, and you know the one thing that, and, and I'm sure it's not subconsciously put in there by Peter Foote, it's writer and director, um, but what comes across maybe subconsciously, subconsciously to, the, to the person watching is the unique strength and bond of family 
that exist, whatever farcical situation is going on. And there you go, Mick. You're dead right. You're dead right, Mick. And it's like we're all, we're, I mean, Cork is all one, but I think, again, personal opinion, what comes out very strong in the north side is that family family bond. And I think Hillary and uh, Peter really, really, I think, portray that fantastic in, in the movie and the series. Okay. Yeah. But I think, no, Mick, no, at the moment, I would have to know the mothers are getting away with everything. Just don't do grandparents, so that's an old to look after the kids. Ah, uh, we're not in China now, come on. At the moment. <laughs> I, I, Mick, I intend to know, Mick, just don't do the grandparents, grandparents look after the kids, though. That's what it is. Just like that girl and the young friend is there, she looked after him. That's the way it has gone now. Yeah. Uh, Olivia, I've got to leave you there because I want to talk to John. Olivia, thank, thanks. Uh, stay, with me, Keith. stay with me, Keith, for a moment because I've got a fellow Northsider here. John, good morning. Hello, Mick. How are you, boy? Good. You're from the north side as well. Oh, I am, of course, boy. Not about us. And, and you see it being filled? Uh, oh, I see it. I tell you, it's outstanding. He'll be up here in Knockney, you know. And, uh, John, listen to me, dear. And uh, it is very good, like. And he'll be up in Bell Street as well, dear. you know what I mean? Up, yeah. Up there. And I think there's a great, I think there's a great show. It's a great pillar for the north side, like. What time is it on tonight yeah. and what channel, do you know? What time is it on tonight and what do I have? It's on at 9 o'clock, I think, on BBC, and I think it's on, it's on RT1 at uh, 25 to 10. Okay, and you'll, both, you'll both be tuned in, will you? Well, me something the wife will be tuning. Keith, yeah, he's a hell man. He's, he's a gas man. Sure. I, I've heard he's a bit of a character, this guy, Keith. Huh? I've heard Keith's well, a bit of a character. I, I, don't know, I don't know him personally, but I can't hear him. Like, you know, he's a, he's a nice old chap. Like, you know John, I mean? you don't know me, no, because you was me 50. <laughs> I remember giving you 50 orders there, that's at about six months ago. You don't know me at all now. What's that? He's a ball hopper. <laughs> yes, you're here, Trim. There's thank- a lot of them around, all right, the ball hopper's ball. Thanks, thanks very much. There, there's, there's a unique camaraderie, there's a unique comedy uh, that exists, I think, you know, on the north side. Now, the south side has its oh, fantastic uh, comedy know, exponents as well. don't have a mix. Yeah, let's so we keep it in the north side, bye. We've, we've had the north side, south side debate before, but then when, when, <laughs> when everyone goes on holidays and they all meet wherever they meet, and then we're all from Cork. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. What about all the shadow of a dog? Do you think we have a superiority oh. complex, lads? Well, sure, if you go over the knockout, you're a ghost. You know you're what I mean? Ghost. You're a ghost. You're a ghost. Yeah. So what uh, I mean, there's no crack in that. Yeah, like. No crack nor nothing. Nah. No nah. crack in that. There, that's a draw. There, that's a draw. Oh, I, I have my own house <laughs> for the last couple of years. <laughs> so, I know, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, I have a private house. Uh, there's no counting houses in the south side. They're all private, <laughs> mate. Ah, uh, there is, yeah, there yeah. is, there is. Well, there's a few. Hello, <laughs> all right. No, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. A text uh, says the Young Offender Show is a disgrace to the people of Cork and make Cork people oh, out to be dumb and stupid. Oh, you know, whoever said that. Never off. Whoever said that is a mop. A mop. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, it is great for the North Side, bye. All right, guys. John, I see all you right, put kid. a point there, bye, in a minute. All right, not a bother, bye. Take over a point. Make any place open. Come on, I tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll give you the stage, right? The two of you now have a good north side conversation. All right, bye, I see you, boy. Right. Go on, t- t- talk to each other. Talk to each other, go on. <laughs> you, need to, you need to book in the pub, by the way. Gotta go myself. 
Thanks a million. Are you going? Right. Hello? <laughs> You're mad, the two of you. All the best. Uh, give us a call, one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106 or uh, you can email neil at redfm.ie. Do we have Patricia? Uh, Patricia is in London and she's married to an Irish man and we hope to speak to her in a few moments. Right now, we'll take a break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850-104-106. And a very good morning to you. The TSB are actually ringing people to update their, uh, their details, not a scam. We were talking to Billy Harman yesterday. He was speaking to us on the program and he just wants to clarify uh, it and make sure the information is accurate. So uh, take all necessary precautions uh, if you're called from somebody uh, from the TSB. But apparently they are doing a legitimate uh, gathering and updating of people's details. But take every precaution just in case somebody decides to piggyback on that and try to scam you out of your hard-earned money. We'll speak about scams again uh, before the end of the program. But we want to talk to someone who's in the Young Offenders, and that is Wesley, or was in the Young Offenders. Wesley? Hi, how's it going? I'm very good. What part did you play in the, play in the Young Offenders? Um, I played the fishman. So if you look at the origin, if you look at the start of the film, and uh, your man is cycling through the, the English market, um, I'm there buying fish off of him, and uh, the, the the lad is uh, saying that he only eats chicken. That's right. That's yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm the other guy that's that's talk. I'm the customer that's there talking to him. I love fried chicken, boiled chicken, chicken sandwiches. I love chicken goujans. I love chicken nuggets. All that kind that's of thing. That's the stuff. That's the yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I actually thought it was a student movie when I went down for it. Um and I like I went down and I did the English market and I was actually banging on the gate for about fifteen minutes. There was nobody there, it looked closed. And uh, Peter Foot himself just came up and opened the door and there was only about five of them inside there. And um I was like, All right, Grant and they were like, Go on ahead there and let's do the scene and um he was like, Grant, just you know, do it yourself, make up your own words, improvise the whole thing like so he kept us at it for about half the day. Like, it was great crack. He's yeah. just brilliant, brilliant fun. Like, and we had the whole English market to ourselves. Like, it was good. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. More to the point. Go on. You're living in a van. I am. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I basically, I moved into a van there about a year ago, uh, last July. I was living in Dublin for the last seven years. Um, I trained as an actor in the Gaiety School of Acting up there, and I was teaching there for seven years. Then uh, the landlord was putting the house up for sale and I was looking around and seeing that rents were about, for the same room, was about 700 to 900 a month. I had a van outside the door and I was on all these forums um, called Van Life and living in a van on Facebook and watching all these people living in vans all around the world. There wasn't many of them in Ireland. And I just thought, right, I'm going to give it a go. I um, jumped in the van and I said I'd do a month and after a month, I thought, you know what, this isn't so bad. And it just it just kept going, and um, I'm a year into it now. So, um, yeah, Is that a standard van, Wesley, or did you make uh, alterations? No, so it was, it's a DHL van, so it's a long wheelbase, a Veco daily, for those who knows what those are. They're very big vans, like, yeah. the, you know, the delivery vans, you know them, like the yellow yeah. ones. So then I had it, it was semi-converted when I got it, and I got it for 4000 and I put about another, I'd say, 3000 into it. So, like, it's got a heating system. I have a hot shower, toilet. Um, I've got hot water on demand. And then I've got a heater as well. Like, so you need that for the winter. How, how do you heat the water? There's a gas LPG tank underneath the back axle of the van that you can fill up in about... It, it is about one petrol station in every county that you can go to to fill them up. And you know the way taxis have that sort of gas system yeah. as well? But that gas system does the gas for the whole van. It even does the gas. You can even have the refrigerator works off of the gas. So I have a small refrigerator and freezer as well. 
so in the van so it's totally self-sufficient it's just myself and my dog Scooby in the van so it's great like it's it's got two sections like it's one section is up the front and it converts into a big sort of king size bed and then there's a back section then for cooking and storage and then behind that then is the toilet Okay now I could I suppose the obvious next question is about claustrophobia but you have in effect the whole of Ireland as your living room that's right. Like it's it's great. I mean, if if I go, if I, I work from the van, like so, that was the other thing. Like so, I work in I work for different film and theatre companies uh, in Ireland, and I found out when I was living in Dublin, I was I was in the van more than I was in the house anyway. So whenever I go out and about, if I want a bit more space, I just open the door and walk outside. Like or you know, I, I'd go down to Clare and I the whole of Clare there, and I surf a bit as well. So. You know, it's just it's just brilliant. Uh, like if the weather is bad, right, you are locked inside the van, but it's grand. Like it's you, you don't need that much space as one person. You know. Okay, you were in Fair City. You were in the Hobbit. I was in the Hobbit. Yeah, um, that was a great experience. Um, I nearly didn't get in the Hobbit. I did the audition, and then I didn't hear back. And uh, the audition was crazy. Like they had us all in these in this um, airport um, in the hangar where they have the airplanes, and they had a hundred of us walking around in a circle. And every fifteen minutes, a new hundred would come in. And you're walking around the circle following this lad and they tap you on the shoulder and they say, you can go, you can go. So they send you home and they kept on going through that and they get you to walk like an orc and move like an orc and they get you to do some action sequences and it goes on and starts to progress throughout the day. And I, I got to stay for the whole day, thankfully, but I never heard back and I was leaving New Zealand and I got a call from my agent going, go to the airport now, you're flying down to set. Wow. And I was literally on my way out and... Um, <clears throat> We had to go. We had to go there, but I had to come back up then to go to Weta, where they do the, the all the makeup and all the rest of it. But the funny thing was, um, when they did all the things, they have like you're all fake muscles and fake chest and the facial facial and everything. The director uh, came in and took a look at me, Peter Jackson, and he's like, uh, he says a whisper to one of the guys, and they came back with two little bean bags which they put down the front of my trousers. Uh, he said, "You need to bulk up there." Okay, so not only have you worked with Peter Jackson, you worked with Peter Foot by. I did buy. Uh, his foot was great. Yeah, yeah. So he was—he's was great. And do you know what? He's—he's he's a lovely fellow because I—I I, when I started, when I finished up with him, I was—I—I um, I went and I did my masters in screenwriting in IEDT, and I wrote a, a bit of a piece. And I rang him for his advice, and he said, "Oh, send me down what you have." So I sent it down to him, and he said, "I'll be on the phone to you the next morning." And he came on the phone, and he stayed on the phone advising me and my co-writer for about two hours. He just went through everything and he'd read it and gave us great advice. You know, for a man that's as busy as he is, he's, he's, a, he's a lovely, lovely fellow. Like well, the, whole, the, whole, the whole family are lovely. Uh, they, they really are. You were on TG4 as well. I, I want to get back to the van, actually. Let's forget about the acting yeah. at the moment. And you were in Fair City, too. So what's it like when you, um, you, know, when you meet somebody of the opposite sex uh, in, in a pub? Say, come <laughs> back to my place. Oh, I live in a van. Yeah, well, what I try to do is, well, I wouldn't say it outright, like, you know, if I'm having a chat with someone and I see that it's going in the right direction and, and things are progressing, well, then I'll sort of say, look, I live in a van. And there's no soft way of saying that, like, you know. And when I first started saying that, um, I always thought in the back of my head, you know, she'll run for the hills. But, you know, it's been great. I mean, it's hard to go on dates now when you're like a COVID-19 up to the max and you can't really go out and meet people that easily, you know. But when I, before COVID hit, like I went on a couple of Tinder dates and when I mentioned the van, it usually had a great response. You know, people are very intrigued and they think it's, you know, oh, great, it's something different. And, you know, um, the van is so well done up. It's like a mini apartment. Like I've, I've got wood flooring and everything in it. So it looks, it looks fantastic. Like, so, um, so the response has been great, actually. It's been really, really good uh, from friends and from dates alike. In fact, it's a plus. Like, they're like, oh, let's go back to your place rather than my place. I've just got a bedroom. <laughs> and are, are you ever stuck for a, for a place to park? 
Um, parking places are, yeah, you get you get good and intuitive when you come into a new place about where you want to park up. Um, there's also an app called Park for Free, and that's like um, a GPS-operated um, um, app where you put in where you want to go. So I was working with TG Carhart for the last uh, last week and the week, kind of the last week or so, and I was producing for the Flak Hill. You know, the Flak Hill isn't going on uh, anymore, so what they're doing is they're showing segments from different parts of the country of people playing Irish music that used to go to the flat hole. So I was taking the van up to say Derry and I, and I didn't know Derry at all and I'd go, right, I'm in Derry and then I'd put in either a postcode and then it would give me a couple of options around that area and each one of those then would say how safe it is by star rate, ratings or, you know, if there's water nearby, toilets nearby, showers nearby, you know, so whatever's what amenities, shops and stuff like that, that. So you can look at that and you can sort of plan where you're going to park for the night based on that. Also, like, there's all the forums as well, so you can just put it up in a forum and one of the lads will, you know, usually send you back going, oh, I stayed in Derry there last week and it's brilliant and just just stay down by the river and it's great and there's a great shop there and all the rest of it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's easy enough once you once you get used to the system, like, you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking of people who are listening who, who may think this is so impractical uh, that, that you're living in a van in such a confined space. For me, for one, uh, I'd live on a boat in the morning and I know many, many good friends, I have many good friends who live aboard and I think it's mm-hmm. the, the ultimate freedom. You must try to get used to the space and there's a certain amount of solitude that has to be taken into equation as well. Um, yeah. But van, boat, caravan, uh, there's a fantastic uh, program on, well, I saw it on YouTube about a guy who, uh, he developed a horse box into a fully-fledged apartment. And uh, I, I'm not sure if you ever watched the um, fantastic movie documentary called uh, Free Solo with Alex Hanold. Alex Hanold, uh, he was climbing El Cap, Free Solo, no no support ropes. Oh, I've uh, seen it, yeah, I watched uh, it. He stayed, I, I, I actually went to the Stella Cinema to watch that. I actually went on a day to the Stella Cinema to watch that. Okay, um, and, and he's living in a van. Yeah, he's living in a van, and the va- that van is okay. It's not. I would I would give that van about a six out of ten. Um, it's not a great setup. It's and it's not very well insulated either. And he has the bed constantly made up. So if he's got the bed constantly made up, it takes up so much space in the back of the van, and he has no toilet either. And his cooking facilities were bog standard, I would say. And he's but, wealthy. Um, and he, he he is. Yeah, he's he's very wealthy now. Like, but um. Yeah, I'd say he, he had that van. He was living in that van, I'd say, just for the climbing. Like, you know, yeah. it, it was a great film, like, as well. He's he's crazy, that guy. Okay. So what parts of the country have you seen or not seen? Or what's the what's your favourite? I, I say I've seen all of the country at this stage. I've been in every single county. Uh, that's with work as well now, like, you know. So, like, work has taken me all around the place as well. But I'd say the best place for me is County Clare. And with respect to, to Cork, like, I love Cork. But Cork is missing a lot of great surf spots it does have some but Clare is uh, is fantastic and there's a great buzz there's a lot of lads in Clare that are living alternative kind of lifestyles as well so I drive up into Innes Diamond and there's people I don't even know when I'm coming through in the van and they're hanging out the door going hi where's boy I'm going and they're all like surfers and they've all I've met them in a bar I've met them out on the water and you know you pull up and people will just come over chatting to you and it's so so stunning out there and you know there's so many beaches and a great community of sort of a lot of people have moved from Dublin um, over to Clare to La Hinch and Estimon, yeah, yeah. Uh, to Spanish Point, those places. So you know when you turn up as well, a lot of people come over, and go, "Hey, where do you want to park up in our garden? Like we're having a party." Like the amount of times I've been invited over, like to people's. And is is that is that from your great. nomadic nature or your notoriety or from your acting career or from what? I, I think uh, look, I'm a bit of a talker, and I'm from Cork. Like we're great at talking. Like Gary you know, Volby. 
Gary Vaubai, where yeah, it's a great spot, and uh, like I, I got all my chat from here. Like, so I'd, I'd go out and I'd speak to anybody, like you know. So if I parked a van up and there's somebody beside me, I just end up talking to him. And after a while, then like if you're going it constantly, people see you coming in and whatever, and then they come over with their pals, and eventually like you get to know everyone, like you know. Yeah. So you know that's that's kind of um, that's kind of the way it goes, like and and as well, like there's uh, three or four when the when the bars were open, there's three or four really good bars there that everybody kind of goes to. And um, and like you know, you just get to know people. And if you come out of the water as well, like with the surfboard, you might put it down for a second, and you know, just take off the wetsuit slowly. And you'll you'll have might make a cup of tea in the camper van, and people will wander over and saying, "Oh, how's the surf?" And you'll make them a cup of tea, and they'll sit in and they'll ask you about yeah. the van and how it is living. And then you'll they'll say, "Oh, I've got my van over there," and loads of people out there have got. And there's so many people now contacting me. Uh, about their vans, about ma- building their own vans, and they'll ask me like uh, the the uh, what you call it, the stage manager of Mrs. Brown's Boys. I was in a show in Dublin, and she was the stage manager for us, and and she's based in Cork actually, and her and her partner just got a van there about a month ago, and I'd say she was on to me every day when we were going through vans on Dundee and all the rest of it, and she just got a nice, l- lovely VW van. So you've all these types of people ringing up all the time, just asking. So. You know, if you have the van, you're gonna you're gonna attract people anyway. Even in a festival, like you turn up in a festival, you put the awning out, you put the lights on, and you have a sound system in the van. People just come, like you know. Mm-hmm. So it's great like that. It's 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 a great thing to just you know a, a social a social thing like as well. So you'd you'd want like you talked about being solitary there, like you know, grand you are, but open the door and you could literally give five minutes and there'll be people over to you like that's fantastic well done and uh, for anyone who wants to uh, move into that sort of life I I imagine as you're doing about every square inch of space uh, can be utilised for storage but you must minimise your lifestyle to suit uh, you know the environment that you're in yeah, you do. I mean, but that's great as well. Like, you know, once you get, it's so decluttering, like, you know, it's, it's great for your mental health. Like I had so much stuff living seven years in one place. I, the biggest thing I had to get rid of, which broke my heart was my drum kit. And I had to give that away. Um, but I gave it to a, a, a performer up in Dublin to mind for a while, but you declutter and within a week, like you just go, God, I didn't need half of that stuff yeah, at yeah. all. Like, you know, and you, you learn just to really, when you're buying stuff, when you go out shopping or whatever as well, like you're, you've got it in the back of your head, like where am I going to put that in the van, like, you know? <laughs> and you realize, I'm not gonna, I don't need this stuff, like, you know? I, I mean, the biggest sort of spatial kind of stuff that takes up everything is my surfboard, my wetsuit and all that kind of stuff. And everything else in is minimalized, like, you know, like jackets now in the winter, you know, that's, uh, you know, you're, I've got jackets hanging off. If you use the, the seats uh, or become clothes hangers, like, and... Surfer, you know. van, dog called Scooby, anyone call you Shaggy, no? <laughs> Not yet, no, but I quite look... I tell you, I haven't had the hair cut in a while, like, so I, I, I look pretty wild at the moment with the beard and the hair, like, so... Where, where can people track you down, Wesley O'Din, if they want to get in touch, or do you encourage contact? Yeah, I do, yeah. I mean, I have, um, I, I keep the Facebook sort of private enough, but I have uh, the Instagram, I'm on Wesley2, which is W-E-Z-L-E-E and the number two. Um, and people can follow me there if they want. And I'm I'm very open if anybody wants to ask questions or even meet up for, you know, a drink or call over for a coffee or a tea. Excellent. You know, You're a free spirit, Wesley, and that's to be saluted. Yeah. Well done, sir. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks a million. Um, 
Yeah, I love the show, mate. Thanks very much. And Thanks I enjoyed listening to the lads the last uh, that were talking about the young offenders. Oh, yes, you're sc- it's going to be polarised. You know, you're going to get you're going to get foreign against always with something like that. Comedy is subjective. Harry, you will. Thanks a million. All the best, Wesley. Thanks Thank you very, very much. much. Have a great day. Bye Thanks. Bye bye. Now, as uh, our tribute to all of the Cork businesses and support to all of them that are opening, especially the tourist attractions, we of course have passes to all sorts of attractions. We'll open the lines now on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six to uh, family passes to Shandon Bells. Okay, nice part of Cork Heritage. Family passes to Shandon Bells. That's been a very busy week. My thanks to Brenda Dennehy, our senior producer, and to Mark Willington, and to Seamus Whelan, who so uh, ably assisted making this show so easy to present. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday on the Neil Prendival Show. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.